What's up, everybody? This is Elliot Terrell, and you're listening to Magical Thinking, brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is the very funny comedian and magician Harrison Greenbaum. This is another episode that I recorded in New York. It's actually the first episode that I recorded in New York, but there was a little bit of editing that needed to be done for my sake and for Harrison's, but that's neither here nor there. It's a great episode. We did this uh, the morning after I saw him perform at Monday Night Magic in New York. He killed it. We talk extensively about his act. We talk a lot about some of the things that he mentions in his column in Genie Magazine called You Are All Terrible, which relate to what magicians can learn from comedy, specifically stand-up comedy, and the lessons that can be applied to building a magic act and becoming a better magician. The episode is fantastic. Harrison was such a pleasure. He was super funny the whole time, and I think you're really going to enjoy our talk. Harrison is trying to get a Netflix special or Amazon Prime or CISO or Comedy Central special, and he has a website called IWantAnetflixSpecial.com. You should all check it out, and if anybody knows somebody that can make it happen, it's definitely worth it. He's got this act down. He's ready to burn it to the ground, just like the comedians that we all know and love. And let's try and make that happen for him. I think that could be fun. Uh, follow him on all of those social media channels, and let's see if we can get this podcast to do something tangible in the real world. As always, if you're not already on our newsletter list, go ahead and join that at artofmagic.com. Follow us on all the social media channels, Facebook, Instagram, search Art of Magic, and search Magical Thinking Podcast. Give us a like on the Facebook page. And we also just started a group for Magical Thinking listeners so that you guys can all congregate together, share things that are inspiring to you that may or may not be about magic, and have a good conversation and get to know one another. This is a group that's open to lay people that are listening to the podcast as well, which I hope you're encouraging lay people that are magic enthusiasts to listen. And it's going to be a really cool thing. Let's see what we can make happen. Anyway, get into Harrison's episode. It's super funny. Follow him. Make sure to email him any questions you may have. Read his column and genie get into the episode it's going to be great you're going to love it enjoy yeah what is that it's my notebook oh interesting yeah yeah it's so funny i have like a collection of notebooks yeah i need to start using all of them i even have like these toy story ones that i bought when i was drunk oh (laughs) i love toy story i'll make them my notebooks that's fun and then all the hotel pads that i borrow I still haven't figured out. I feel like every comedian has like a thing. Like they take pens from every room, where they take like they keep. I know people who collect the actual like room keys. Yeah. Then they put the date on it. So it's like I still haven't made up my mind. So I'm like, is it pads, pens, or room keys? So I sometimes <laughs> I take an assortment of all of them. You just have a hodgepodge of memorabilia. <laughs> that I should just throw out. <laughs> there's a period where I was like, oh, it's gonna be playing cards, and then it became magnets. So now there's like a million magnets. My, uh, I, I was a magnet fan. I got this one when Obama was still in office because I did the Kennedy Center and then I did a White House tour. Wow. That's but cool. I bought it. I, it was right before Trump won. And we all thought Hillary was going to win. Yeah. So like, I'll get a White House night. It'll be cool. And then I'll be like, oh, Hillary's in there. So now it's kind of a little bit like sad every time I'm <laughs> you, should, you should get rid of it. Yeah. Well, it'll remind me of the Obama years. That's, yeah. That's, that's what I'll think about. That we had a good run for a while. The greatest president of our time, followed by the worst president of all time. Of all time, yeah. 
was, was even crazier too that I was just watching a news thing on ABC. It's like these Syrian refugees. So the story starts out, we furnish his house, we have six of our family members coming over, including this one's mom mm-hmm. and this one's brother. We built this house for them, it's furnished in Allentown. Yeah. And we were so excited, it took 14 years for them to get their visa and Trump's order prevented them from coming over. Like they were on the plane and they got pulled off and turned around. Yeah. And then they were like, I mean, we voted for Trump, but they're like, whoa, wait, what? What? They fucking voted for Trump. And then they're like, yeah, we're very proud we voted for Trump, but we feel like he should change his order. No, you don't get to have it both ways, I'm sorry. You voted for the guy who clearly said Muslim ban. You are Muslim. Yeah, you do. And you're trying to get your Muslim family over. Why would you vote for Muslim ban guy? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, it says add water. This is strong. <laughs> so strong. So uh, funny. Can, I, can I borrow your little ottoman to sit on? Okay. Oh no, here, take, take the chair. If you take that, that's why they're, they're the two empty. If you take either one of these chairs. Okay. And then you just pull this thing while you're sitting on it, and they go into the floor. Oh, that's great. I didn't know. Yeah. Cool. Everything in a New York apartment's gotta be multi purpose. That's right. The ottoman has storage, the couch has storage in it. <laughs> oh, I need to redo my whole like magic cabinet. Oh, yeah? Is it just too cluttered now? You know what it is? I. And I tried to order before. I, I just need like bins and things to keep it really sorted so that when I have an idea, I can be like, oh, let me just cut this out. Right now, every time I have an idea, I have to like pull everything out. It's a mess. It's a fucking mess. <laughs> this is magic and stuff. It is a mess. I mean, I know where basically everything is. And then I have two suitcases. One suitcase has just my act in it. Uh-huh. And the other one has stuff that is sometimes in the act. Yeah. So usually I can start with that suitcase. I work my way out. But no, it's good. Oh, there we go. Do you like uh, our Truvia? You want a sweetener? I'm going to taste it first. All right. I started messing with it. <laughs> it is strong as fuck. <laughs> I would drink it, but then my it would just be me speaking at 700 miles an hour. That could be fun. Thank you, sir. If you need them, they're all yours. I'm gonna take them. Yeah, I said. Turn her off. I just did one with Garrett Thomas and. Uh, we were at Dave Buck's apartment, and he, he is one of the dots. And so, like, oh, while, while, while we're talking, she interrupted us and was like, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Right. No, because if she senses anything that even sounds like Lex or Alex or anything that gets there, it yeah. like... She's she's into it. Yeah. And the commercial, that was, like, a big scandal, because if the commercial says, Alexa, order me shoes, <laughs> everybody who has an Alexa near their TV got shoes. That's very funny. When did you get into comedy? And why did you get into comedy? That's a better question. Yeah. Well, I was doing magic at the Mystery Lounge, and then all sorts of forces came together to push me into stand-up. Okay. Um, so basically, I I was always doing comedy in my magic, yeah. and I was like, oh, I really enjoy the laughter thing. But magic was always there. And then I had a frat brother who was like, yeah, I do the stand-up show once a year. Do you want to do it? You can do magic in it. He does a stand-up show once a year? <laughs> it was on campus. It's called The Demon. Oh. It was this Demon magazine. Oh, so he, like, puts it on. Yeah. I thought you were saying he does stand-up once a year. <laughs> he basically did, though. That's oh, what okay. was crazy about this show. Yeah. It was, like, this humor magazine. And so, like, anybody who was interested in stand-up would do this show. Mm-hmm. And they would invite, like, friends. And that's where I met one of my best friends, um, who I was just at his wedding, actually. Um, 
because he was doing he was one of the guys who like wanted to do he was doing funny songs mm-hmm. so they're like come do the show and uh, I was like I know I'll do stand up like that's a fun exercise like I've always wanted to see if I could do stand up yeah. so I wrote jokes like I still have the file on my computer just like terrible jokes oh great and then I ended it with a magic trick because I still had that crutch of like <laughs> I'm gonna kill yeah but I remember not I'd be going to the mystery lounge in khaki pants and like a navy blazer mm-hmm like looking like a country club kid yeah and I couldn't swear and everything was clean and all of a sudden I was wearing what I wanted to wear mm-hmm. and saying fuck whenever I wanted yeah I was like this is kind of freeing and interesting so I wanted to do it again yeah and I got an internship for Mad Magazine that was like the next step in the evolution how and did then that happen I just sent them an email like I was like <laughs> I want to be an intern and they're like okay right on it was crazy I, I, I didn't think they were going to accept me because yeah. I had no comedy writing background I was yeah. like I did it once yeah I did six weeks that was boot camp yeah. and then I started going to open mics started barking for stage time where you yeah. stand on the corner and you hand out flyers for two hours and yeah. exchange for five minutes so I started doing that and at that point I had sponge balls in my pocket and a comic came up to me and said uh, what's in your pocket and I go uh, they're called sponge balls and he's like yeah if you bring that on stage you'll never get funny <laughs> and he's right because yeah. you have to take that safety net out mm-hmm. so he's like if you're going to bomb bomb don't if you save yourself every time you're bombing you're never all the instincts will never kick in and you'll never get funny so that was like maybe the best piece of advice I ever got yeah that's a nugget yeah and it's and I tell that to other magicians because like uh, there's a couple of campers at magic camp who are like uh, trying to do stand up and I'm like do not go up with tricks if you go up with tricks you're 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 not getting you're, not you're getting, cheating you're cheating yeah um and also just that thing in the back of your head of like, oh, fuck, if these jokes don't work, I'm dead. Yeah. And that's what makes you a good comic is you're like, I'm terrified yeah. right now. I could die every night forever. Right. Yeah. Unless I get better at these jokes. So exactly. the next, so that after that first bomb, you go on, you go home and you go, I'm writing. And those I'm are rewriting. great stories, too. Like, you learn to love the bomb, right? Yeah. That's Louis C.K. has the best quote, which is like, you don't learn anything when you kill. Yeah. When you, when you bomb, there's a murder scene. And you get to be a CSI and look at the body and be like, why did this person die? Yeah. When you kill, it's... All right. There's, there's nothing. To, there's no. There's not very much information. Yeah. So it's so sometimes those harder gigs are more useful because it's just more data to sort of process. Mm-hmm. But yeah, all those things kind of came together. And then I was at the Mystery Lounge, which is in Boston, um, and they that's in a comedy club. It's okay. the third floor of a Chinese restaurant. But every night except Monday, it's a comedy show. Tuesday, it's the magic show. Yeah. So I was there every Tuesday working with like John Stetson and David Oliver and Z Perdolfer and all like the Boston guys. Mm-hmm. And then I started hanging out with the owner who was there on Tuesdays. And it's the only time, as a comedian, trying to get access to Rick, who's the booker and the owner, is really hard because there's a million comedians around him at all time. Yeah. Except on Tuesdays because it's the magic night. So I was able to really, like, kind of start up a relationship with him and, like, really pick his brain and hang back with him while all the other magicians and be, like, asking comedy questions because nobody else was yeah. on that night. And started doing the other nights, like the stand-up nights. Mm-hmm. And then by junior year, I had started a stand-up club because, like, one show a year was, like, ridiculous. Yeah. So then we did two, and then by junior year, we were doing, like, 50 shows. Mm-hmm. And literally, I was in Boston this weekend and just met up with the current president of HC Sucks. They have, like, 25 members now and, like, a social chair. It's, like, a major organization on campus. Like, they do shows all the time. That's awesome. We used to sell out the little room, which was, like, I don't know, 100 seats or something. They're selling out this, like, 300-seat room, like, every time they do it. Wow, that's amazing. Amazing. It's really cool. Although they're free shows, so I guess they're they're putting butts in seats. They, yeah, that's what I mean. We used to sell the tickets for a dollar. Okay. Because we figured if we could even get two hundred people, that's two hundred bucks. Yeah. And we'd get grants and shit, and so it was fun to give this kid like all the old. I sent him like a Dropbox of all the old like the Constitution and like all our old logos and stuff. Yeah. And it's funny too because stuff that we just kind of made up like kind of has become their like 
sacred. Yeah, they're yeah. like, yeah, the pat. They're like, Chuckles Charlie. Like, who's that? He's like, our password for everything. I'm like, you guys haven't changed your password? Because <laughs> like that was the password we put in. Because we had we, there was a clip art guy that I put out one poster once, and then yeah. Dave was just like, oh, it's Charlie. And then we're like, all right, let's call him Chuckles Charlie. <laughs> just a dumb thing. And yeah. now it's like. They're ma- it's like the, the official mascot that they couldn't figure out where the name came from. They're like, who's Charlie? I'm like, we just made it up. Yeah. That's the story. Somebody called him Charlie Chuckles. That was like a joke. And then it became Chuckles Charlie. Yeah. But like all this random shit. He's like, what about your initiation ceremony? He's like, we didn't have an initiation. We were barely, it was two people for a while. <laughs> and then we got all of our friends to do it. Yeah. So what, what was it like when you were getting into it? What, I mean, what kind of jokes were you doing and what would it feel like? When we were starting? Yeah. Um, it was just anything I could write about. It, you start out with like shock. Uh-huh. So there's like making fun of Jesus. Yeah. Um, trying to think of what the first <laughs> jokes I did. The first joke I have, I really recall writing where I was like, um, like this is a, this is a joke. Like this is a, I've created a new joke and people are laughing at that joke. Uh, in hindsight, it was terrible, but it was a joke about scurvy. Because <laughs> okay. I, the whole joke of it was, um, that scurvy is the only disease you have to like you have to want it like in America if you have scurvy you like earned it yeah like you have to like not eat any kind of vitamin C for months so like that that was the whole joke it's the only disease you have to like work for yeah uh, and like it's a badass disease like you go to a party you're like hey I have scurvy like <laughs> it's only me and some pirates so like that was the dumb joke yeah yeah but it was that kernel of the idea of like oh okay they're finding out the flip side of something I'm like yeah there is this disease that's really hard to get yeah I wonder if, now I'm thinking about it I wonder if there's a way to like rewrite the entire thing and make it workable because I found that yeah. recently is there are some jokes that I did two or three years ago that I had to put away because they just weren't working yeah and then when I bring them back out they like crush yeah because I've in, in the two or three years I've somehow figured out how to handle it or like the lightning I have this lightning Roy joke yeah that's like my favorite one of my favorite jokes to do and it was the result of a joke that I couldn't get to work I couldn't get it to work and then I put it away for a year and then when I came back I like kind of accidentally fell into a structure mm-hmm. and I was like oh shit this is the joke I think I can do this and now it works yeah and I was like my favorite joke to do but last night I added a line like Jim the guy who hosts the second show came up to me and he was okay. like you added a line I wrote it down and he's like and I, I was like yeah no I've been, I've been writing it out but yeah. like it was interesting that he picked up on that new line too because yeah. it killed and I was like oh I guess here's a joke that I've been doing now for a year mm-hmm. already like put it on YouTube and shit yeah. but adding a line like no joke is ever done yeah absolutely so do you want to put it on this thing or do you want to is the pre I don't know what your, what's no, your best no we've been going for like 15 minutes wait really yeah oh shit I didn't know that <laughs> oh well that's weird why Oh, I thought we were. This I was like, this is a pre-interview or something because I saw the little bag on the microphone. It's just a pop filter, and you helps you forget about it. Oh, that's so interesting. Oh, I wish we knew. I would have been. I feel like I would have been more active. No, that's fine. That was my. I was trying to be like, oh, okay. <laughs> are you? Are do you have? Are you short on time? Because we can go for. Oh no, I'm not short on time. I just, I had no idea we were going. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. That's that's just how I do it. Okay. I just stole it from a different podcast because I like the feel of it. You just you're just in it. Yeah. In the beginning. So like, when you go up on stage, how do you get into something? You know, because I I don't like the manufactured like I'm Elliot Terrell and we're doing blah blah. You know, it's just, yeah, it's weird. Okay. <laughs> so how do you when you go up on stage? How do you get into it? Do you just start telling jokes or? Um. And how is it different from magic and comedy? 
I mean, I think there's a similarity in terms of starting. Like, you have to do something. You do some kind of intro. I mean, I think in stand-up, the key is to... to me- there's, there's something about you that the audience is going to notice. Uh, if you're a really fat comic... They're gonna they're gonna notice that when you go on stage, or if you're really tall, or if you have a really gay voice like I do, um, they're gonna notice that kind of stuff. So I always think it's the key is to kind of just introduce that right away. Yeah. Because um, if you wait a while, the audience is just like focused on it. Like, is he gonna mention that he's really fat? Like, yeah. does he not know? So I think it's really good to establish that stuff right off the top. So I like to establish character, yep. who I am, get all those beats in. And then the rest of the set, I can develop that. And sometimes I can go off on a tangent and just talk about a topic, like mm-hmm. Lightning Roy, yeah. which is a random topic. But I've already established my perspective, my persona, my voice. And then I, then I can, anything then I talk about... with you. They understand who you are and where you're where you're coming from. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of magic, too, feels kind of generic. Like, yeah. it feels like it can be presented by anybody. So I really want to especially in the magic do the same thing and like establish a character and be like this is the voice of it I mean there's that joke in the beginning of my magic act where I say like I do the newspaper thing and I say yeah it's all magic because you pretend to make a mistake but I didn't make a mistake that's so dumb and then every trick fits that format so I'm like telling that I'm foreshadowing every trick where I'm like there's going to be a fake mistake and then I'm going to fix it and you're still gonna f- get fooled by it, even though I just warned you about it at the beginning of the show. Yeah. So there's like there's a couple there's a bunch of threads that I try to put throughout the thing mm-hmm. that connects each trick, so they're not just like separate yeah. little tricks. That's great. That's really interesting. Um, I got fooled pretty bad a couple times last night. All right. Yeah. Yay. Your closer was great. Oh, thank you so much. I don't know why it didn't play. It like it was weird. You you know. Oh, no, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean to say, like, you know, I didn't play. No, no, it, purpose, it purposely plays that way. Okay. Um, although the one thing is normally... So Tony actually moved it out of order a little yeah. bit. Um, but no, the idea is there's, like, that stunning thing of, like, oh, there's no way he could have done that trick. Yeah. And I basically... If I just if I just stood there, mm-hmm. um, they, they would have started applauding like crazy. I literally wait exactly one second before they're about to applaud before I launch into the rant. Okay. Because that's how that developed was... You could just wait and they'll do it. Yeah, yeah. But I just wait till I start to see them the beginning of that big applause break, and then I go into the rant. Oh, great. Okay. So I'm the rant is is always there. Okay. I just really enjoy the idea of like getting angry at the audience at the end and yeah. summarizing the whole show. Yeah. And doing this like big sort of eleven o'clock number at the end. Mm-hmm. Um. So they, they they people will come up to me after the show and be like, you know, they we were ready to applaud, but then you started yelling. I'm like, oh no, I know. That's like that's the rhythm of the thing. Okay. And that came from the comedy clubs, like, and I can feel that exact moment where I strike. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's that funny moment too of like, I, I like to try to th- throw the regular rhythms off mm-hmm. so that it feels less like magic and more like stand up. And the normal rhythm of that trick would be to like, just wait for that big, yeah, wait for the big applause break. Mm-hmm. And instead it's like, after two seconds, I get impatient with it. I, like you don't, you rarely see a magician who'd be like, are you kidding me? This was freaking amazing. Yeah. How can you not applaud at this thing? Mm-hmm. So it's it's all set up to do that to, yep. for that moment. It'll happen every time. That's really cool. Yeah. So okay, that makes a lot a lot more sense to me now that you say that because that's like uh, the Carlin thing of like stomping on. You're bottling up their energy so that when you then allow them to applaud, it's even exactly. So I'm basically blue balling the audience. Yes. At that moment, you're edging. So, <laughs> I'm edging. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like that's I'm, that'll be like my genie cover story. It's like Harrison, the edger of magic. <laughs> uh, but like. Yeah, so that that 
that rant too is like reminding them of everything else in the show. Mm-hmm. So I'm even like pushing the pressure down harder so that it finally is just that big yeah. money shot. <laughs> so basically my act is porn, I think is what we've decided. I think so. I think all good magic is porn. Yeah, there's a climax. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes multiple climaxes. Yeah. A bunch of people in the audience end up with semen on their face. Is this a clean podcast? I have no idea if there's children listening. No. I mean, there are, but I don't care. Okay. Tired and sweaty at the end of it. Is that a Braille Playboy? It is. Yeah, this is my wall of stuff. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I just saw, like, the light shimmering off the Braille. Yes, it is a a Braille Playboy that I managed to find uh, online. I was like, I must have it. That's amazing. Mostly just because I wanted to look inside and see if there was this, like... Was there a fold-out? Is there a centerfold? <laughs> is there? There's not. And I, I went through the pages trying to see if there's maybe just, like, circles. And I'd be like, that's the page where there's a naked girl. <laughs> it's just circles that you could rub. But I think it's just the articles, which is, who's buying Playboy just for the articles? That's amazing. I mean, there, there, there used to be some good reporting in there, but... Yeah. And then that's my clown certificate, which I'm very proud of. Clowns of America. I'm a member of the Clowns of America International, which is the weirdest name for an organization. <laughs> Because they, they were the... This is a true story. There was the Clowns of America. Yeah. There was Scandal. Okay. They split into two groups. <laughs> There's the, like, International Clown Federation. <laughs> and then some group was like, well, we can't be Clowns of America because that just brings up bad memories. So now they're the Clowns of America In- International, which is the most American thing. It's like when you have a World Series but only include two countries. Uh but this is, yeah, I needed insurance for my show. So there, there's, here's a hot tip for all the magicians out there. If you tour your magic show, it's yeah. a great idea to have liability insurance. Because mm-hmm. um, if, God forbid, somebody hurts himself walking up the stairs to be your volunteer, whatever. There's so many million things that could go crazy. Yeah. And you get sued, personally, for some reason. You need liability insurance. And most venues require you to have a certificate. Like the Kennedy Center, you know, when I perform there, it's great. But like they need, they need a certificate from yeah. you as well. Um, and one of the cheapest best ways to do it is to join the Clowns of America International. I think it's like 150 bucks a year and you get access to their group insurance rates which cover magicians and comedians because clowning includes magic and comedy. Yeah. So it covers all the bases plus if you want to be a clown and for an extra $5 I think every six months uh, I get my newsletter. I get the the Calliope which is the best thing I get in the mail <laughs> and makes everybody frightened that I get a clown newsletter. It's like a bright magazine with just like some clown in close up on the cover. And it's just, it'll be like Judy, Juju B, Shlo- whatever, Shlomovitz, <laughs> clowning in Ohio. And this, this month was my favorite one because yeah. there's a four page article on clown safety. <laughs> because you know like how there's all been all these like creepy clowns in the news, like the yeah. clowns in the forest? Yeah. So because of that, I didn't realize this until reading the magazine. Because people are of like that, assaulting clowns. People really don't like clowns again. Yeah, like they're really scared of clowns, and police departments are shutting clowns down. Yeah, because it's like a some kind of danger or safety issue. <laughs> so this is like a four-page article on like how clowns can protect themselves from the law. Oh my god! Because like they're like, don't wear your makeup. On. Like if you get pulled over, clowns will get pulled over now by cops. They're being like. It's profiled. Crazy. Yeah. So, like, all these things about how to assure your clients that you're not a scary clown. All these things because these poor clowns are being caught in the midst of a viral meme. So, you never think about the clowns. Yeah. And when you sign up for the clown, Clowns of America International, the COAI, as I call it. <laughs> I just made... I just... And uh, you get a membership card and you give them your clown name. 
Yeah, what's so your So I'm Greeny the Clown. Greeny. Officially Greeny the Clown. I'm in a, I'm on a dossier. Like I'm on the, the official <laughs> seal AI. Do you tell this to people at comedy clubs? I would try, well, I originally applied to, I wanted to be Gacy the Clown. Okay. And I was like, they're going to reject that one. Yeah. And then I thought Gropey would be funny to be Gropey the Clown. Mm-hmm. And then I was just worried that there would be some list where it just says <laughs> Harrison Greenbaum, Gropey the Clown. I just felt like that association felt I weird. I like that it rhymes though. It would be nice. Yeah. Gropey the Clown would just be a hilarious thing to literally get a newsletter to Gropey the Clown. <laughs> I felt like they were going to flag it though. Yeah. I have, but yeah, it's uh, Greeny the Clown. Greeny. That's pretty good. Yeah. And I have a little membership card. It's real fun. And it's like a fun little thing but to hang up because the other ones I'm, I'm legitimately proud of. Like, yeah, the other ones The Friars like- Club was one of the youngest guys ever inducted and that was cool. That's awesome. And the Academy of Magical Arts is obviously, you know, when we were kids we all dreamed about being in the castle. Yeah. So it's just funny that like, I think when people come over it's when people like kind of look at the wall and be like, oh, those are cool. And we're like, wait, you're <laughs> officially a clown? And like, everything else is so nice and official or like, you know, it looks really authentic and good and then there's this like you know printer copy (laughs) and that's the real certificate that they sent me it's so good oh yeah it's like not even the same font the the date no and there's like two clearly just random clip art clowns (laughs) it's unbelievable not even the same style that thing is really a masterpiece of bad design yeah I love every bit of it. Yeah, me too. I'm, like, enthralled by this. I feel like I've become the greatest advocate of the Clowns of America International. Like, I've never heard it talked about, and now all I can do is talk about being a member of it. I've never heard of it. They keep inviting me to their convention, which I, like, almost want to go. You should go. Here's here's my plan, is that the convention has a face painting competition. Okay. And I don't know if you've seen... I highly recommend everybody go to Clowns of America International's website, go to the face painting like competition results yeah and tell me you couldn't win without <laughs> any training training like the number one like first place was like a fish <laughs> there's like a fish on somebody's face like i can do a fish yeah like i really think i could do it i think i could really take it you should and then i would have a trophy you could st- from a clowning <laughs> convention you could storm the convention could you imagine how great my intro would be if it would be like oh he you know you've seen him on last comic standing he's also First place in face painting at Clowns of America International. It's Harrison Greenbaum. That's hilarious. Just for the just for the fun of it. Yeah. Just to have it in my intro. It would be worth the flight. Yes. I think so I why could do have you it. Done it. Or even if I don't win first, it's almost funnier if he he was third place <laughs> in the face painting competition. Like even just any place is funny. Yeah. Maybe an honorable mention. <laughs> I would take that. Like a, a thanks for participating ribbon. I mean, even just framing that the, the future newsletter where I'm sure I would be featured for my face painting. Yeah. Oh, it would be so great. It would be amazing. I'd, I'd, I have a couple of friends who have done weird... Like, my... Basically, my first girlfriend, she was in college. She's, um, she like did this whole thing of like trying to do weird things. She wrote a book called A Field Guide to Awkwardness. So each chapter is kind of like a weird thing she did. That's cool. But she entered a whistling competition. Yeah. And she like placed. She did really well. Wow. Because evidently, I guess everybody basically can whistle. Not to undermine, I'm sure there's at least one person listening who's a very good whistler. <laughs> Not to undermine all of the years of whistling practice, but yeah. I'm pretty sure we could both do pretty well. We could do pretty well. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a decent whistler. Uh, there you go. You should enter. I should. No, yeah. Okay. So how do you, what's your, here, what's your ex-girlfriend's contact information so we can get in touch with her and ask her what weird things to do? Oh, Alexandra, uh, P-E-T-R-I, Petri. Okay. Yeah. She's great. 
I now we're just plugging all sorts of random things. I know. I wasn't serious, but I'm glad you were. Oh, well, you're wearing a vest and a tie, so everything you say sounds slightly more serious. Yeah, that's the point. That's when I say, like, cocksucker. That makes it funnier. Right. Exactly. It's because I look like this. <laughs> no, it's good. The contrast is great. Yeah, thank you. Um, what do you think that magicians should learn from comedy and from comedians? Because I think there's a lot. Yeah. Well, like that's you're, but that's you're the, doing it, and I'm like, you know, I want your firsthand experience. Oh, thanks. That was my first. Uh, that, that's what my column is in Genie is yeah. the you are all terrible. Um, is me trying to take lessons of comedy and apply it to magic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is sort of the way comedians approach their art, which is um, everything has to be original. Yeah. So you have to create your own shit. Um, you can't buy any jokes. Like you can't go to the comedy store and, and buy have somebody's a, act and have a comedy dealer sell you the latest DVD with comedy jokes on it. Yeah. Um, that I think that magic store mentality really screws us up. This idea that we go to a store to buy stuff really ruins the like the artistic process. Yeah. You should be able to go to the store to buy tools. Yes. The way a painter goes to a store to buy his paints. Yeah. But they don't go to the store and go, oh, tell me what I should be painting with these paints. You wouldn't go, I'm building an act. Can I get that Marin joke and that Louis joke and that, you know. Right, exactly. Like, yeah. Oh, gosh, is somebody doing construction? Oh, that was weird. Somebody's dead. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just assume somebody's murdered every time we hear a loud sound. Um, so I think that, yeah, we get out of the magic store mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that happens in comedy is, like, if you write, if you're working on a joke, or let's say it's about Hot Pockets, and then you realize, then you see Gaffigan do Hot Pockets. Yeah. You're like, shit, Gaffigan's got Hot Pockets. Like, yeah. he's got it's it. It's done. I can't, yeah. yeah. Or if you're now a comic coming into comedy now, and you've seen Gaffigan do Hot Pockets, you go, well, I guess somebody nailed Hot Pockets. Yeah. And I think that happens in, ma- that that doesn't ever happen to magic. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't see a, you see a guy do linking rings, and then the, the first magic thought people have is, oh, I wonder how I can do linking rings in my act. Yeah. And that, we, you don't get to create anything new from that. And there is this weird sense of like if somebody else is doing something you can do it too yeah and, and there's a, the sameness I mean the idea that at a magic show we all have to go backstage and go who's doing what tricks yeah so there's no overlap yeah. you don't no have, one does that though it doesn't happen in comedy yeah you don't go backstage and go okay I'm doing religion yeah. and you're gonna do men versus women yeah like that never happens yeah. the closest that happened was I, I did a show with two sound effect guys mm-hmm. like they were those like old school like police academy sound effect oh yeah comedians yeah, yeah. so they were like alright I'll do beat but you get subway he's like well I gotta do electric guitar so that was hilarious to see them like divvy up yeah. I guess only so many sound effects comics can do but so um funny. so yeah be be more creative yeah write your own jokes yeah that's that for me as a, as a comedian is so frustrating yeah is like stock lines I mean if you've heard another the fact that people <laughs> do lines they've heard other people do yeah if you've heard somebody else do that line you can't do that line yeah why is that not the rule that's Thank the rule in comedy sure. yes in comedy if you hear somebody do a joke you can't do that joke yeah in magic you see that all the time and at conventions I mean there's different classes of magicians there's sort of the amateur performer and then as you work your way up the pyramid there's like the professionals at the top um so maybe it's a little bit more relaxed when you're in the amateur level yeah. but like you shouldn't be going to conventions and being like ooh that's a good joke for my act or that's a good trick for my act Yeah, that's not 
and I, and I feel like that's what's happening. Yeah. And I and even very popular magicians who are doing very well are just doing the lines or doing the stuff. I mean, how many Americans got talent acts are kind of just assemblages of other things that we've all seen before. Mm. Um, part of it comes from magicians not really establishing their character other than being a magician. So then you get this genericness. Yeah. Um, but there's also what I call like the iPhone case syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most deadly thing afflicting the community. What is it? Explain. The iPhone case syndrome is um, like everybody, most people own an iPhone. Let's just assume everybody owns an iPhone. And then everybody puts their own different case on it. Mm-hmm. And they go, this is my iPhone. That's why it's different. But you're, you all have iPhones. Yeah. Like, I don't care what case you put on it. Mm-hmm. You still have an iPhone. You're not doing anything significantly different. And it's the same thing with these tricks. Like they'll buy the trick du jour of the month and then they kind of change it or kind of adapt it. So they're putting a case on it, mm-hmm. but it's still an iPhone. Yeah. Like everybody who's doing a college act is doing color match. So they're changing it a little bit. One person's doing it like a comic book. One person's doing it like it's a coloring book. Mm -hmm. But it's still the same freaking trick. You're not moving it anywhere else. You're not adding all these elements to it to make it like an original piece. Yeah. Um, And the other thing that's... I, I So there's the iPhone thing I, I, I strongly stress. And then the other thing is I feel like magicians are doing the entire thing backwards. They're the only artists that are doing art the wrong direction. And the way I would explain that is like as a comedian, the way I start is I'm like, I want to talk about this. Yeah. Like, let me talk about abortion. Okay. Uh, that's a, that's a, sure. an easy topic. Yeah. Yeah. An easy, non-controversial Super. topic. Yes. So I'm like, I want to talk about that. So I'm going to write a joke now about that. How do I make that funny and make my point of view come through using the sort of narrow constraints of the art, which is it's got to be funny. It's got to be, you know, there's certain things within standup. Yeah. Um, and the same thing for any other art, like a painter. Painting is easy. Like you're like, I want to paint New York City. So then you go and you figure out what paints you need and how big should the canvas be. Mm-hmm. All of the things that create that art are dictated by what you want to put out into the world. Yeah. I want to paint the city. So let me figure out what what way I'm going to do that. Or I want to do a joke about abortion. Let me figure out the ways I'm going to do that. Yeah. In magic, though, people will be like, I got this great move, this great trick. What should I? What presentation can I put around it? Yeah. And that's backwards. Yeah. That's like saying, I have this really great shade of blue. I guess I'm going to paint the sky. That's not how painters work. Yeah. So I think that's the pro- that, and that comes that partially comes from that iPhone casing and that magic sort of thing is you bought the trick now how do I put it in my act? Yeah. Buying the trick should be like one of the last steps I think of yeah. creating a trick. All the tricks in my show come from an idea first, then I flesh them out, then I start to script them, then I put the trick in. Because that's in almost. And then you rewrite it, basically. Then I have to yeah. rewrite it. Yeah. But like the price is right. That was one of the. That, that's an easy one to explain the creative process. I had a joke in Mac forever mm-hmm. about the price is right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wouldn't that be cool if I could play the price is right with the audience? Yeah. And then I was like, okay, what do I want to do with that? Like, how, how should it feel? I'm like, well, I, I want to be the contestant, so I have to guess the prices. So I knew that. I knew I, I'm going to guess the prices. Yeah. Um, and then there, then I was like, shit, what are there tricks where that I can give that feeling of actually playing the game? Yeah. And I tried different versions of Mental Epic. Mm-hmm. Um, I tried all sorts of different tricks too. Um, but I arrived on Mental Epic. And then from that point, it was figuring out, there's like 17 versions of Mental Epic. Yeah. There is uh, there's the Mikami one, which I have. Um, there's Dwayne Leffler has a version of it. Um, there's, uh, I mean, they, they, I went through Corinda. I went through Tarbell to see what, there's old ones. Yeah. There's an Aster version, which I, I 
did not like. Um, there's no force. There's force. There's a million versions of it. There's yeah. chalkboard, whiteboard. And then I, I basically bought all of them. Yeah. Um, and did all the research, played with a bunch of different versions until I found one that made the most sense for my plot. Mm-hmm. Still had to make modifications. Yeah. Um, and then very quickly realized that all mental epics are boring because it just nailed it, nailed it, nailed it. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's not at all satisfying in my mind. Yeah. So then I came up with the coupon idea. Yeah. Which fits with the joke. That, yeah. That's where it came from anyway. So I was like, the joke is that I have a coupon. I was like, that needs to be integrated in the trick. So it let me presentationally solve an issue with the trick but also came from the joke itself which had inspired the trick yeah. so then I was like great now we're in a good place because we have this extra moment of it's it, it, it goes back to the beginning of the show with the newspaper saying I'm going to always screw up mm-hmm. but then fix it I get that screw up fix it moment so now I'm like in a better place yeah. um, and then I get to use crowd work so like I'm secretly getting to use a skill that you know, as a comedian, I've been working on for years, but most magicians don't necessarily have access to, which is that like instant crowd work joke thing. Yeah, I really enjoyed last night your crowd work with during that trick because like you were making the connections between your participants. You were like it was it was so refreshing to see a magician doing a magic trick and being genuinely funny and in the moment. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And I, I, it's also for me just like playing to strengths of like what makes me different. Yeah. It's like I can do crowd work really fast because I go on stage six hundred to 700 times a year how can I give myself a framework to just have fun and that trick is great too for for me in terms of being excited about a show yeah because every time I do that trick it's different yeah so it's always gonna there's always gonna be you know curveballs thrown at me and the first time I ever was at the castle the first show the first item I go what's the item and he goes a Porsche 911 (laughs) and I was like is that really the name of the car (laughs) you you couldn't get a Ferrari Holocaust (laughs) And somebody literally thought like I had planted that guy in the room because yeah. he's like that joke was like came out too fast and like yeah. it's just from doing that trick and you figure out too like the thing about crowd work or that that kind of trick yeah. where you're where you're taking an audience feedback yeah. is I give myself the opportunity to come up with jokes that are very specific to what they say yeah. and if I can't do that I have more generic things that I can fall back on to ensure that I get a laugh no matter what yeah and that just comes from doing it like a yeah. million times for that one though you should use Mercedes. Yeah, right. Oh God, get the German in there. Yeah, that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, or Volkswagen. Ooh, there you go. Really get in there. Um, yeah, no. It, it's you know that how okay. This is we're going off on a little bit of a tangent, but it's something I'd like to ask magicians. But this is a far better question for you, which is like, uh, comics have open mics when they're right. bad and they're starting and they go oh, on stage. I, I'm so glad you asked this question. Yes. Because um, I literally, um, so like I've been, uh, I kind of started a show mm. um, that I handed off to Cassandra Nemzer, who's great, and she's uh, married to Ben Nemzer, who's also one of my best friends. Um, and we, 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 we have a show like twice a week where we can like kind of screw up and just work on stuff. Yeah. Um, and Eric Dillman has a show too called Amazeballs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always feel like, yeah, that's another thing the magicians don't do is basically open mic. Like do, sh- do shitty shows. Yes. Like fail. Um, I rarely see, I feel like people buy their trick and then they just like put it in the act. Yeah. There are at least three tricks that I have spent years on that I don't think will ever see the light of day that I just worked on them and worked on them and I don't feel good about them. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to go in the show. Yeah. Uh, and then there's some stuff that like almost instantly makes its way into the act. Like, man, this is working. This is, this is the stuff. Um, like the, like my toxic kind of made its way in pretty fast. Mm-hmm. 
Um, although I forgot the selfie stick. That was ridiculous. I was like, God damn. I was like, I knew it was a, some, there's always a gremlin. Yeah. I was like, I can't believe that's the gremlin. Normally the phone ends up on the end of a selfie stick. Yeah. So I'm really like never touching it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I was able to work around it, but like yeah. it's so much more fun with that visual. Um, but now I'm getting off topic. Um, but yeah, comedians go up every night yeah. and they go, all right, let's try it out. Let's see if it's funny. And then they use the feedback from the audience to dictate whether they should keep it. Um, like when I write jokes, sometimes I have to try 10 jokes before I find one joke that I, I like and can keep. Yeah. And like, I feel like that doesn't happen to magic. Yep. Like, why do we not, why do, why, why do, like, I just, I, I that's sort of my process now. Yeah. And, and I think I want to see it more with other people and too. You, you break that fourth wall. Comedians can break that fourth wall. They can go, hey, this is a new joke. I'm trying it out, you know? Yeah. And, and we have like, different kinds the of audience, venues. the expectation, you know? I mean, how many public shows do most magicians do? That's the other issue. It's yeah. like, I always feel like every magician's dream is to like be in Vegas and headline a show, but that's a public show. Yeah. So if you're only doing walk around magic or private corporate stuff, it's going to be really hard to make that transition, if not impossible, because yeah. you don't know how to work like a theater or a room. Like, you have to work the room you want to work. Yeah. Every venue is different. Like, if you're doing close-up walk-around, you're going to get very good at close-up walk-around. And some of the stuff will translate. Mm -hmm. But unless you're... If your goal is to be a Las Vegas headliner, then you should be building that show now. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of guys, I feel like, who do... They have their five-minute amazing manip act or bird act. And then they want to blow it out to 45 minutes. And, like, you can't just do... You can't just go from five to 45. Yeah. And I've seen, I've had friends work through that process of trying to build it out. But like, if your goal is to have a 45 minute show, then build a 45 minute show and keep working on it. Yeah. Don't think you're going to have five minutes and then grad, just blow it out. Yeah. Um, the creative process is about building just slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. Um, and comedians get that implicitly. We do a million shows and we just every day change little things and, and experiment. And how often do you see magicians arrive at a good act, yeah. a very good act, and then just keep it for 30 years? Yeah. That's their act. Yeah. So, like, my goal with this show that I'm working on is to tape it, make it a special, um, and then burn it. Yeah. I'm probably going to burn the whole show down and start all over again and do a completely new show. Yeah. Which you I, you never see. No. There's not... like, And that's the thing, too, is <clears throat> magicians can get away with doing generic magic and not creating their own material because they're like the magic that people know is like Blaine or Copperfield or Chris Angel and then like you know everything else is oh well they've never probably never seen Triumph I can do a version of it you know Right, but because so, or people who put sh- tricks in their act like that night, or like, exactly. like oh, yeah. uh, you know, I've been working on this thing. Let me throw this in. Yeah, they've but never worked it out. You know, comedians are so much more like there's it's so much more visual in the zeitgeist. There's you know, fifty Netflix specials and HBO and Comedy Central. And, you know, it's like comedians are out there, and the lay public, civilian public goes, that's what comedians do. They, like, they're just better educated about comedy than they are about magic. But it's our fault. I agree. As magicians. I'm totally. Because if you gave 50 magicians specials, they would be the same special. Yeah. There'd be like the 10. same tricks. 10 of them would be the same. They would all be the same tricks. Yeah. The same jokes. It's because we've allowed ourselves to become a craft as opposed to an art. Yeah. There's too many people doing the same shit. Like, if you're doing, I feel like there's, I feel like most magicians who, who are listening, all four of them, uh, no, um, <laughs> all 14, thank you. There we go. Somebody in the Netherlands. There's always somebody in the Netherlands. Yes. What, how do they do it? How I do have no know? idea. Every time I'm on a podcast, you look at like the, the, the breakdown and there's like, who are all these rogue podcast listeners in the Netherlands? No idea. No. But big Dutch following. Yeah. Um, 
But like, they're just like, they're, I feel like everybody knows the tricks I'm talking about and they all have them in their act. <laughs> but like, if you're doing Professor's Nightmare or like the standard rope routine, or if you're doing color match, or you're doing linking rings. Bolarama. Yeah, if you're doing freaking Bolarama, yeah. how are you still doing Bolarama? That frustrates me so much. It's so frustrating that you have seven people doing Bolarama mm-hmm. on the same convention show. Yeah. Why is that even still a trick? That's chem- Somebody invented a great trick. It's a great bit. Hug, 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 kill or whatever. Or kill, whatever. It's one hug and then all kill. Yeah. That, that infuriates me in the sense that like you didn't earn any of those jokes. Mm-hmm. All the laughs that you're getting from that trick should you shouldn't be you didn't earn any of those laughs you didn't write that joke you didn't come up with that routine like that's why comedians don't respect magicians is because they'll see a a magician do the the hug kill 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 that guy will walk off stage and be like wow that guy wrote a really funny bit yeah and then when they find out that the guy just bought that bit and literally had nothing to do with those jokes it infuriates the comedian because they're like wait I'm putting in so much effort I spent 15 years to create to, to create jokes that create a response and you spent 15 seconds yeah and why is that even in your act? If you're doing hug, kill, 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 and you're not the inventor of it, you've made a mistake. I, I feel like you, sh- it, you should cut it out of your act. It's not art if you're doing that yeah. trick. Now it's going to be really awkward if you're like, that's my closing. <laughs> Maybe I should have YouTubed you before I, I went on, off on one of those tricks. It's not mine, but I'm thinking of Rob Zabrecki, who is my favorite magician and one of the most original performers I've ever seen, and he does that trick. And I give him, like, that's his now. Right. I think. He I mean, create that, but I would give that to him. Sure. And I think Rob is one of those guys who has such a strong persona, and he's been doing that trick probably, I imagine, for a long... Before it was popular. Yeah. He probably was the one who popularized it, if I would guess. Because he's, he's... People know his work so well, and he kills with it. So I bet you a lot of guys were like, oh, I should do that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, whoever were the first... If you're some schmuck doing it, stop. If you're doing it because you saw another magician kill with it, yes. then you definitely shouldn't have that bit. Yeah. I doubt Rob was that method. Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Rob was like, found out about the tricks, like, ooh, this really fits. Yeah. Because um, his character, that's so per- it's so perfect. Yeah. It's, it fits like a glove, that kind of trick. Yeah. Um, so I give him a pass. Yeah. But I mean, in general, it, if yeah. you've taken, if you, if you have to, just, if you say the sentence, I put this into my act because I saw somebody else do it and it killed. Yeah. That that's, I don't care about anything else. It should be ripped out of your act. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure Rob never has to say that. Yeah. Because he has a creative process. Yeah. Um. So that, yeah, that would be an alarm bell. Um. If you put something in your act just because it works. Yeah. That should no. <laughs> I mean, this is why I call my com. You are all terrible because yeah. I like. It's it's re- I, I love magic so much. It's like that Eugene Berger quote. I love magic, but I hate magicians. Yeah. Because I, I, I love... My best friends are magicians. This is yeah. like, my best friends are black. Um, some of my <laughs> so best friends are magicians. Yeah. Um, so you just start saying the N-word right now. We're not even talking about that. What? It's just like... Oh, God. Trump's America. Um, <laughs> no, but like, I love magic. And yeah. I want magic... I think magic... Everybody should watch magic. I want magic to have respect. And I want it to be considered the art form that I do consider it. Yeah. But there are so many magicians who are, are approaching it in the wrong way that it makes it... It makes it makes it harder for the, the lay public to appreciate the way there's so many great comedians that people think comedy is great. Yeah. We need there to be so many great magicians that people feel the same way about magic. Yeah. And a lot of our most sort of famous people right now are the people who are getting up the most or getting the most eyeballs are not doing that and they're not doing the work. And it makes the rest of us look bad mm-hmm. and it makes it harder. Like even in music, like music, 
the audience is aware that a cover song is being done because the guy will say, oh, this is my favorite song from the Beatles. And then they take their own voice and they do a cover song. But like, there shouldn't be, you shouldn't be a cover band of magic. Yeah. Most magicians are just cover bands. Mm-hmm. And what's what makes it sad is the lay public doesn't know they're a cover band. I think yeah. maybe that's the best analogy is like, most magicians are, are a Beatles cover band acting like they're the fucking Beatles. Yeah. That's infuriating, that's maddening. That's mad. I think that if I had to trace where my anger comes from, it's that. Is Beatles cover bands acting like they're the fucking Beatles. Yeah. And other people treating them like they're the Beatles. Yeah. The Beatles wrote their own shit. Yeah. They created their own persona. They did thousands of shows over many years to become And the sucked Beatles. for a long time. Yeah. I mean, Ken Weber, uh, you know, he in Maximum Entertainment, like the, the my favorite line is, um, is this idea of like, He's like, it's hard. Doing good art is hard. And like, that's the easiest way to separate yourself from the herd. If you're like, how can I be different? How can I be recognized? Hard is the thing that will differentiate. Easy is easy. Everybody can do easy. But if you do hard, then you will create a product that nobody can touch. Nobody can emulate because it's hard to do do what you do. Mm -hmm. So like, if you're doing magic, yeah, it is really, really hard to invent a magic trick. Yep. Or it's really, really hard to create, to take a trick so far that it sign- it's, feels like a signature piece of yours. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. Yeah. And it takes thousands of performances. But like, that's the work. Like, if you don't want to do that work, then like, don't do it. Yeah. Like this idea of like, oh, my, my corporate show kills, but it's all other people's shit. And like, or just, yes. I mean, stock jokes even. Like that, on a basic level of like, stock presentations of yeah. stuff. I mean, how many mentalisms, do you, mentalist presentations do you want to see where they're like, figuring out if you're lying and reading your body language? Like, how many of the same which hand is it presentations yeah. are we going to fucking see? Yeah. It's it's insane. How, how are we only seeing the same three tricks over and over again? In comedy, every single night, I see a hundred new premises. Yeah. Every night. How come every time I see magic, so I see the same five? It, it's, it kills me because magic could be awesome. Yeah. And everybody's heroes are doing it. Like the reason Copperfield is Copperfield is because he spends millions of dollars on R and D, and he has like a team, and he's working on things. He's making new magic. Yeah. Why do you want to do magic if you don't want to create something new? Like, and if you don't want to express yourself, like when you're, you're just like, you're hurting yourself when you go on stage and you don't do you. Yeah. It's not real. It's not like when when you're performing magic, there's nothing real about it, obviously. But if you're not expressing yourself, there's not a point. Except yeah. self-aggrandizement, you know? It's just like... And everybody's heroes are doing it. Like, that's what's so crazy is you see a kid who's like Matt King and Penn and & Teller and Copperfield and these guys are my heroes. Mm-hmm. They're giving you the less... They're, they're modeling the correct behavior. Yeah. Matt King... The, the other... The a way to tell if you have a good persona is that somebody can do an impression of you. Yeah. You can do a Matt King impression. Mm-hmm. You can wear the suit and any, everybody will know you're Matt King. Yeah. But like, can somebody do an impression of you? Yeah. Like, if somebody, like, tried to do your act, would people go, oh, it's Harrison. He's doing an impression of Harrison. I'd like to think at this point you probably could. Yeah. Because I've been working really hard to establish that. But, like, too many magicians are just generic, mostly generic white guys. Yeah. In sort of out-of-date suits with really uncomfortable jokes. (laughs) Especially in the comedy magic space. The comedy magic space. That's... There's nothing... I mean... I, 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 lo- I love Penn and Teller's Fools, but once in a while you have a guy you're like, but that's just like, every show, every show I watch, I just, I have to like, like, take a shot and be like, oh my God, I need to calm down. Why? 
Tell me. It's because everyone's doing the same. St- they're they're Beatles cover bands, acting yeah. like they're the Beatles. I'm yeah. like, and the problem is, I'm the only one in the room. If there's all lay people who know that it's the Beatles, yeah, they just hear great songs. And they're like, that is a great song. Yeah, it was even better when the Beatles did it. Yeah, I mean, how many times do you see somebody do like I don't know, whatever the trick is? Yeah, and you're like, that's not even his presentation. Or that's not even his. None of these are his ideas. Yeah. And there is this weird, there is a very weird trend. Not weird, I mean, it makes sense. There's this trend of magic of like, now I'm a cool hip white guy doing the same old shit. <laughs> I'm younger and yeah. I'm wearing the clothing of my generation and yeah. I'm doing it on YouTube. Yeah. But you're still doing the same old shit. Yeah. Uh, that's also kind of infuriating. I feel like I said infuriating like four times. That's fine. I'm getting very passionate. You're very passionate. Very passionate. Get into it. What the, what the listeners don't see is that I've been strangling puppies the whole time. <laughs> the whole time. Yeah, it's a lot of, a lot of okay. animals have Most died in the them process. Most are not cute, so I don't care. Yeah. There was a couple times. How dare they? Yeah. How dare they exist? <laughs> is there a not they cute puppy it. ever? I don't know if that could even... I don't know. I'm a cat person. No. Dogs. No, you're not, Elliot. You're a cat person? 100%. God damn it. <laughs> I feel so... All right, let's end this right now. How right, can well, you be a nice cat... No, no. <laughs> How can you be a cat person? What you... it's, they're just better. They're so mean. Every way. Oh, oh, come on. Dogs love you. Yeah, I, that's it's easy. Has anybody ever done a joke comparing dogs and cats? I don't think so. We should no, find it it, it's a, I'm joking because that's... There's like the hackiest premises are dogs versus cats... Uh, men versus women black people dance like this white people dance like that I know I was yes oh you were doing it. I was yes handing you I would but you know what I would have I probably would have enjoyed that joke better if you didn't have such a cat personality <laughs> go fuck yourself <laughs> that was very cat of you right there it was that's how cats act it is you have a cat personality I do you act like a cat I swear to god it's not even a joke I like I was hanging out with my friend David. it makes so much sense I was hanging out with my friend David the other day, and uh, we were at his apartment, and I was bored, and so I was just, like, following him around the house, and he would, like, go in his room, and I would go stand at the doorway and just watch him, and he would come out and go to the kitchen, and I would just follow him. Like, if somebody rubs you, do you purr? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And when they stop, I, like, shimmy and make them keep rubbing me. Interesting. Do you pee in sand? <laughs> no, but I poo in sand. Okay, that works. <laughs> I spray my. Do you scratch stuff a lot? No, I keep my nails pretty, pretty good. Interesting. Do you have? I do cats? have a weird. How many texture cats do you have? Thing. I do have a weird texture thing though. Maybe you were a cat. I like to think so. Do you own a cat? Not you must. I've I've owned many cats in my life, but I do not own one currently. Okay. Yeah. What's keeping you from the cat? Uh, it's a commitment thing. Fair. Yeah. Oh, I feel like cats are less... Com- they, you can just kind of oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, let I, them roam around. Yeah. It's not even a question. I would never have a dog. A cat is like something I would entertain as a possibility of, mm. of having. I think right now the only thing I could support is like a sea monkey. Yeah. I or think I like could... a sugar glider or something. No, I think they, they, that's too much for me. Really? At the moment. They're like little marsupials. You just can't... Oh, no. I'm well, I love, I love a good sugar glider. Okay. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Um, but I also they freak me out sugar gliders me too right they're it's scary like a weird, it's like I don't like tiny creatures that can jump at your face yeah I don't I feel like if I can't see it I don't trust it yeah well the person who runs Magic Camp mm-hmm. um, so Terry Cook she's one of my favorite people in the universe yeah and she has sugar gliders mm-hmm. so she brought the sugar glider to camp because actually one of the counselors was selling sugar gliders that was yeah. his business for a while um, 
And so she had the, the, the sugar glider on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to conquer my fear. Let me get up close and realize that this is just an adorable, lovely animal. Because mm-hmm. this thing really does love Terry and like, like kind of like curls up in her and like marsupials like being in pouches. They like being in clothes and shirts and stuff. Yeah. I'm like, oh, it's really cute. And right as I got close to it, it jumped. <laughs> I thought at my face. It was like aiming for my shoulder. Yeah. But it leaped at me mm-hmm. and put its little nails. And it, wasn't, it didn't hurt. Yeah. But like, to just be like, oh, you're adorable, jump at my face. Yeah. I, I, I almost shit my pants. <laughs> and I was like, I can never own a pet that would cause pants shitting. <laughs> That's why I like cats. They just sit there. It's pretty good. Yeah. Sea monkeys. Very low maintenance. Yeah. You can put them in a watch. When I was a kid, I had a what? watch. You had a sea monkey it was watch? A wa- it was like a bubble and you would take the little pipette and put some sea monkeys in the watch. They never survived the school day. It was a very... Peter really like, should have stepped in at some point because it was a it was a sea monkey holocaust. But I thought they would make it. But I think yeah, I think a couple of them did. They were all named after Buffy characters because I was a very cool child. <laughs> so Buffy and Angel, I don't know if they uh, they made it. They were they were, but Angel was already dead. Yeah, he's the undead. The undead. He's undead. So yeah. if it fits the name, yeah. Then I think I had Angel two and three. <laughs> I always liked Spike. Oh. Interesting. I'm learning so much about you. I feel like we should have started with these questions. As a cat person who likes Spike, I could write your whole life story from there. Yeah. That tells you so much. Go ahead. The person who likes Spike is very interesting. That's like an outsider. Mm-hmm. Now we're just doing cold reading. <laughs> yeah, Buffy it's, cold reading. We're just hitting and missing. Because I feel like most magicians who watch Buffy were Willow. They were the nerdy kid who did magic. Yeah. Studied. Like, we were all Willow, I feel like. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Absolutely. We're all Willow. Yeah, that's fair. But you're Spike. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So interesting. Yeah, I like to to work for love. That's why I like cats. I'm also, like, just, Mm. I'm an animal person. Just in general. And animals love me. They're attracted to me. Oh, animals do not like me. Well, that's the thing. It's like, it's with a dog, it's just immediate and automatic. And that's no fun. I, I like, I want it. I want, like, <laughs> I want the, the gratification of having earned. Something. You want to win. You like to date somebody who hates you. Yeah. I, and then I, win her over. I like to tell people that I force people to be my friend. Ah, you friend rape them. I do. I, 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 st- <laughs> I stalk and talk, basically. <laughs> I do. I friend rape people. Uh, that's why I got my job. It's wow. It's like... Basically, it was through social media. I was just like made my name like apparent and obvious and constantly available and then got friendly and you know, it was just like, Ooh. yeah, it's subtle. It's not like obvious. You can't be a tryhard, but yeah. I like that. Yeah. Just sending Dan and Dave dick pics. Yeah. Most of them were soft. Soft dick pics. Ew. I don't know if you, can you, do people do that? No, that's why I oh, That's why you stood, stood out, out from the crowd. Yeah. This is a. I think that's a very interesting concept. Is the soft dick pic? You're showing your vulnerability, basically. You're not like, ah, look how hard I. It's yeah, because it's angry. Erections are angry. They're angry. They're offensive. But a soft dick pic is just like, oh yeah. Yeah, you're like, I'm kind of offended, but also adorable. It's like I took the effort to take the picture, but it's like you know, it's it's like optimistic. Yeah, like if I said I'm bringing a tiger to your apartment, you'd be like. No. Yeah. But if I'm like, I'm bringing a tiger cub to your apartment, that's smaller yes. and more approachable. That is a yes. You're like, I want that tiger cub. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would I be allergic to tiger? I'm allergic to cats. Oh, okay. Yeah, which I probably should have prefaced. Yeah. I feel like I'm like, I hate cats, <laughs> but also they're my, they're an enemy to my health. Yeah. So it's not the cat's fault that yeah, I yeah. Well, no, that physically react to them. <laughs> but would I react to a tiger? I guess that's a gigantic cat. Yes, because it's just a skin thing. So yeah, you would. Skin yeah. and saliva. Can you imagine that's my biggest fear of the tiger? It's not that the tiger wouldn't murder me with its claws, but like it would make me sniffle a bit. Uh, and I have a rash. <laughs> yeah. But I'd be the one who gets out of there. I'd be like, I'd be scratching my arm and you'd be like, hey, Harrison, what's going on? I'm like, I think there's a tiger nearby. <laughs> that's pretty funny. And then like the person who asked is immediately mauled. Right. <laughs> and you escape. So I feel like people have learned so much so far. They've learned how to improve their act and how to... Uh, Determine personality based on Buffy characters. Yeah. We've done some good work so far. We have. I think we've really shed some light on a few things. This is what the podcast is. Nice. Yeah. Just putting shit out there. Just putting shit out there. Um, how we So you keep referencing your voice, and that's like, you know, magicians have to be self-aware, and we t- touched on it. Which they're bit. almost never. But they're, they never are. And that's like, it's so important to go out, you know, address immediately the audience's response to you. So that yeah. you can all get on the same page, you have to you have to make this group of strangers into an audience. So that yeah, and they have to get play. you. Not not. It's very the the thing that magic is very powerful and very strong and very interesting, inherent of itself. Like if you do a good card trick, even if you present it poorly, it still might create a response. Like people are going to be like, like especially when you're with your friends. If you do a trick that fools them, they're going to remember that like moment. You're not going to remember that like you were pr- presenting it sloppily, or that you they won't and they won't know that you stole two of the jokes that you did at the beginning. Yeah. Um, so it's very easy to be sort of dishonest with yourself and like be like, "Well, the audience enjoyed me. They enjoyed the magic yeah. that you really had no part in. Yeah. That you were just a robot facilitating. Facilitating. Um, the way you distinguish yourself is through that persona and that character. Like, if you can really, all the best guys, all the guys that we love. And girls, yeah. we they bring you into their their world and their perspective, mm. and then every everything else is gravy. Yeah, like I I really do feel like I'd rather see a musician with a great presentation and like do the invisible deck, yeah, than a guy with terrible presentation do the most intense sleight of handy thing that that fools me. Yeah, and the same thing with the audience. The audience doesn't know all they know whether they enjoy it or not, and it's theater. Yeah, like how often do you see magic where there's no like real shape to it there's no beginning or end or build to a climax or any of that stuff yeah. that you need so yeah that's definitely an element of it yeah there's no uh, there's no plot there's no story it's just here's a trick it's it's yeah. like you know the Marin bit the Louis bit you know it's like picking it yeah. and then, but there's no shape. and there's a weird dishonesty when you're not showing yourself yeah. like because the audience kind of starts to feel like how come you're not letting us see yeah. you yeah because like the idea, if, if you're playing the role of a real magician, like I'm a wizard and I can do all of these things, the audience knows you're full of shit. You're not a wizard. Yeah. You're performing for 50 people in a back room. If you were a real wizard, you wouldn't be here. Yeah. Um, so I think that that, that that is not a character. Magician is not a character. Yeah. You're the character and magic is your tool. But like, yeah, we that may be the big improvement that people could make is like, if your character is just, I'm a guy who does magic. That's not a character. Yeah, that's uh, that's just a statement. <laughs> right. There's no like. There's no creativity behind that. I mean, it's, how do singers distinguish themselves? I mean, that seems also like an insanely hard thing to do, but they do it. Yeah. Like Katy Perry is very different from Lady Gaga, and you know immediately. <laughs> 
the difference, even though their songs are both pop songs. Great choices to convince people. <laughs> I think they both kind of do similar things. Like they wear crazy outfits. No, no, no. They do crazy saying, pop songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I was saying, uh, you know, you're like my voice and then you're like Katy Perry, Lady Gaga. Oh, well, <laughs> at least I didn't do a musical theater reference. <laughs> I'm like, it's the difference between guys and dolls and yeah. Kiss Me Kate. Kiss Me Kate. That's funny. Are you a big musical theater guy? So big. Yeah. You, are, you live in New York, you have to be. Yeah, that's how I got into performing. My grandmother would take me to a Broadway show. Oh, wow. Um, every year for my birthday. I said that was my birthday present. Yeah. So I love live theater. Oh, and that big rant at the end isn't... One thing that I... The one way you can take inspiration Yeah. is I think you, you go to a show that you like, especially if it's non-magic. Yeah. If it's a magic show, it's a little harder to take any kind of inspiration because... It, it, it's always going to have similarity to other magic then. Yeah. But go to other kinds of art and see yes. what makes what moves you and makes you... And I notice every Broadway show has an 11 o'clock number. It's that number. It's not the last number. But it's something that happens where it's like, just brings the house down. Mm-hmm. And that's where the rant came from. I wanted this big performance moment that felt kind of Broadway where I summarized the whole show in yeah. one breath. Just go straight through the thing. Yeah. And so it was that feeling that I had had from other theater that I wanted to put in the act. Yeah. So that kind of inspiration, I think, is useful and good. Yeah. It's to see other... Or watch a movie. and Like, um, the moment where the, the board from The Toxic matches The Price is Right was inspired in part by The Usual Suspects. Because mm-hmm. I was like, you know that moment at The Usual... And I'm ruining it if none of these... If you've never seen The Usual I've Suspects, it, turn it off. I've never seen it, yeah. Have you seen, like, The Sixth Sense? Yeah. Um, any movie with a twist. Okay. Let's say The Sixth Sense so I don't ruin The Usual Suspects for you. Okay. Have you seen The Sixth Sense? Yes. So, like, you know that moment where you realize he's been dead the whole time mm-hmm. and then you flash back and realize it's been in front of you the whole time? Mm-hmm. The Usual Suspects have, has a moment like that. Okay. Um, and I was like, can I do that with a magic trick? Mm-hmm. Like, can I give you that feeling of like, shit, it was in front of me. How did I not see that? Yeah. And I, I don't, I'm not saying it's on par with that, but there's an idea of like, I'm holding that number for a good two minutes before most of the audience, I think, realizes it's the same number that came from the beginning of the show. Yeah. So when it matches, there's that like, boom. Mm-hmm. And that moment I let them sit in, as opposed to yell at them, which I'm going to do one trick later. Yeah. Um, but there's that, I like that moment. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I haven't really seen it very often in a magic trick of like, God damn, it was there in front of me the whole time. Yeah. Darren Brown did it, I think, a little bit where he does that newspaper thing and then he shows that he's secretly been telling you to like, he's been secretly leading the audience to that thing mm-hmm. with the like newspaper because he's like, he's, yeah. they edit the show together so you see they said National Mall, whatever. Yeah. But it came from, it, that it really came for me from that movie of Usual Suspects of that. Like, fuck, it was there in front of me the whole goddamn time. Because yeah. in the movie, he's staring at a board. Yeah. And you realize that he's been using the board. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted that same thing. I'm holding a board. I want you to realize I've, I've used the board. Yeah. So there's that thing. So yeah, I think there's not enough. The only inspiration you see when people say, oh, I was inspired by art to do this magic piece, mm-hmm. it's generally, oh, I picked a song. <laughs> it's almost always that. Yeah. And that's another thing, too. Now I'm just ranting. Now I'm just like, here's another thing you should stop doing, <laughs> magic boys. You're all horrible. Come on. The reason I have the random number song in my act is because I used to do a running joke when I was backstage at Monday Night Magic is all these magicians, when they had a dead moment, would cover it with a, a song. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm going to go into the audience and then they hit their little remote on the side and then a song plays. So I would sing along to the song and yeah. be like, I'm a magician and I don't have any jokes for this moment. So I'm playing this song so I can do this dumb thing. It's dragging a little bit. Whatever I was doing, I would just like yeah. riff in the back and make mm-hmm. the guys in the back laugh. Yeah. And so I was like, oh, 
that'd be really funny if I just make that the, the song. The, the song itself is just telling you what I am doing mm-hmm. and making fun of the fact that there is a song for this moment. Yeah. And the beginning song too is similar. It's just like me saying like, the song is called This Is A Magic Show. You know, it's a yeah. magic show. It's my magic show. It's just saying what it is. Yeah. So like, I think my second show, once I burn this down, I actually have more of those moments where it's like every music cue is me saying, I, there was a moment where I considered taking the Price is Right theme song out and just replacing with like, Price is Right theme song, Price is Right theme song, this is the theme song I don't have the rights for. Like something so that it's just, every moment has something. Yeah. But I feel like you should be trying to get every laugh and everything out of it. When you're just covering stuff up with music, a lot of times it feels like a band-aid. Yeah. That you're putting sound in the room because you want to hear laughter or applause. Yeah. And you want to hear sound. You don't want to hear silence ever. Yeah. So instead of going like, hmm, there's a silent moment. I need to do something. I need to fix something about my act. You just like cover it up with yeah. music. And music is a very useful tool. Don't Absolutely. get me wrong. Yeah. But sometimes I feel like it's used as a crutch or something to just cover it. Mm-hmm. And also, like, your music should be music that you enjoy. Like, pun music is awful, or, like, everybody who performs to a song that has the word magic in it, mm-hmm. fu- like, god damn it. <laughs> if I have to hear another one of those, like, do you believe in magic? We get it. The word magic is in the song. We get it. <laughs> it's so on the nose. Way too on the nose. It's like... Yeah. Unless you're making a joke out of it. Like, the reason I have Final yes, Countdown exactly. is a clear nod to making fun of magic. Yeah. And it was better that, that I was doing that song when it was when Arrested Development was still like very much more in the zeitgeist. And now I just kept it because I think it's like a just a ridiculous song to yeah. have. Yes. Um, but I remember somebody come up to me like, you know, it's an Arrested Development. I'm like, yeah. Why, what do you think? That's a it's a wink to the audience of like, I am very well aware of how, what you think about magic. Yeah. I'm very well aware, and I'm going to use that to my benefit. Yeah. So that's why that's in there. Yeah. It's about, it goes back to playing the audience. You know, you have to be aware of what they're feeling and thinking and, and you know, you just hone that by being on stage 700 times. And... Right. And also like talking about stuff, like it's weird. I feel like I'm going to be one of the few magicians who's talking about Trump. Like it's, it's it seems weird. I mean, granted I'm a comedy act and I, my whole act is, I guess, saucy. Yeah. So I'm allowed to talk about things I feel like most musicians don't normally get to. Mm-hmm. But there is this weird, like, sometimes you see a magic act and it's just like, encaps- it's just like there's a wall around it and it, the world doesn't affect it. Yeah. And like, don't make corny jokes about what's going on, but like, talk about shit in your life, talk about shit in, we, in Magic Camp we joke about like the I went to China mm-hmm. disease. Because we have these kids who are like five, not five, but they're like 10 years old and they go, so when I was in China, like you weren't in China. You've never been to. You've never left You're your state. seven years old. You, I'm pretty sure. I mean, is it possible? Sure. Yeah. But like you said, you went to China because your prop has a dragon on it, and you didn't want to. You didn't repaint it because that's the lesson they're being taught: is you get the prop, you put it in front of you, and then you try to figure out what presentation makes sense for it. Yeah. Like a maze box. I think. How many, I think everybody listening has an Amaze box. Everybody bought that trick because it was like under $40 and it seemed like an empty canvas. Mm-hmm. And I know no one who's doing it because there's not, I haven't seen a good use case for it. I think once you've bought the trick and then you try to come up with a presentation afterwards, you've kind of made it impossible to be creative. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of people bought Amaze boxes and they're like, what am I going to do with this thing? 
it's a great thing. It's a very clever thing. I don't know if there's a very interesting presentation. I haven't come up with it. Yeah. I have an amazed box sitting on the shelf because <laughs> I'm like a magic nerd. Anytime there's a toy, I'm like, I think I could use it for something. Yeah. But anytime I find myself doing that, I, I, I realize I've usually lost. Like I have, I have a trick that I've been working on now for, oh God, I want to say four years. Yeah. And it's like karatsuke. And it's, it's so I wanted to be able to find the black ball out of a bunch of white balls. Mm-hmm. But it, I've gone through so many methods of that thing. And like, I've bought every version. I've read every book about it. I've tried other versions that are just set color. I've done out of this world color separation. And like that's, that should be, I think the method for most people is like, I had this whole thing about race. This is gonna sound, there's no way this is gonna read. I wanted to do a trick about race relations. Yeah. Um, and as a white guy, I feel like I'm very uh, appropriate. Uh, it's, a, it's been a terrible well, idea. Formed. It's yeah. been a terrible idea to do. Yeah. But that's kind of, that's the fun thing too, is like. How do you take a terrible idea and make it right? Yeah, and how, just be terrible on stage. Yeah. People don't get, magicians don't get to be terrible on stage. Yeah. Find a venue where you can fail. And that's what, uh, yeah, we didn't, we didn't end up getting back to that. Go ahead and finish what you're saying. I'm oh, I was going to say, most magicians, I feel like, do their public show, and it's their one big public show of the year, so they got to kill it. Yeah. Which is also weird. By the way, if you're just doing your one big public show a year, or you're doing one show a month, you should always have shows leading up to that big show. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you, that shouldn't be, the first time you do the show, it shouldn't be the big show. Yeah. Or you shouldn't be doing your show once a year or once a month. Mm-hmm. You've got to do it over and over and over again, thousands and thousands of times. I mean, there's so many people I see do an act that they've only done six times. Yeah. Or like, it's just, it's just crazy. I mean, the castle is great because you do 21 shows. Yeah. So by the end of that week, every performer is better than when they started. Yeah. And I think for a lot of magicians, that's the only time they get to do that, where they get to do 21 shows in a row. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And you would think after doing that, most magicians go, oh, I should do that more. I mean, I was the masochist who would do the, I would do shows before my three shows at the castle because I was late night parlor. Yeah. So I would do like a comedy club set and then do my three shows. I was doing like four or five because like that's just like the comedy mentality. Mm-hmm. But like your jokes, your jokes are going to suck for a while because you aren't good at it yet. Yeah. Like bomb your jokes. I think we too often take the easy way out, which is like if you do a standard trick, yeah. you know it's going to kill. That's the thing is you, you know it's gonna you get into magic because you know you have this thing that's going to work. That's it. Yeah. You know you're given the key to somebody's reaction, and so then you build up this uh, you, this mindset of well, this is this is what it is. This is what I'm used to. Yeah. I I can't not kill, and then you're just afraid of trying new things and doing because they're not gonna kill. Yeah. Yeah. And the way you offset it is like you do shows where you set you go to that show knowing it's like for me to experiment. Yeah. And you could sandwich. That's the other thing is I in comedy we do it all the time you open really strong mm-hmm. you close really strong and in the middle you kind of fudge around yeah and you start with the new stuff and if the new stuff starts to go south you go back to the old stuff yeah but if the new stuff is killing you then you do another new bit and if that kills you do another new, and you kind of keep going until you you don't hit yeah and then you have jokes to get out of it yeah and I get that in magic it can be a little bit more painful because if a trick goes wrong it you might be 10 minutes method or you know yeah. and it's brutal but like that is also part of the price of admission mm-hmm. but you can kill a trick but you're present like I'll do a trick and the trick works and the audience is impressed by the trick but like the reason I was doing it was to get these jokes to work and this presentation around it mm-hmm. and that wasn't gelling and so I'll throw it out mm-hmm. but it's like trying to find it's hard yeah it's really hard and I think that's the problem is it's really hard and there's this really easy way out of it Mm -hmm. which is to just be a hacky shitty magician yeah 
that is admired. Because for most of the time, people think you're the Beatles and they don't realize you're a Beatles cover band. Yeah. For most of the time. But you know. You know in your heart that you are. I don't care. Not you, I, I mean. Give, no, I don't general. I don't, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> there are people do. who don't. No, I know. And it's totally insane to me. There's also it's evil like, people. I mean, there are once true. in a while some guys who are like, I will tell people they're the Beatles. When, when you get to those people who are like, I am the Beatles. Yeah. You're like, uh, are you delusional? Or like, that's weird. There's like, that's psychopathic behavior. Yeah. You see that once on a blue moon. You're like, Jesus Christ. What is going on there? He like walks off stage like, I am this shit. And you're like, cover band. You're cover band. Yeah. I have friends who are in cover bands. They don't walk off being like, man, I am Journey. <laughs> They're like, I did a very good job covering Journey. I did a great don't stop believing. Yeah. Which is, I should, my dad's friend is in a journey cover band. So I, he, you're very great. Adam is great. Yes. I like Adam. And, and the band tours the world. They yeah. tour the freaking world as a journey cover band. Yeah. But he wouldn't lie to you and say he's fucking journey. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. I just, I think of journey now as a journey cover band though, to be honest. In a weird way. Right. right? Yeah. Cause the, the lead singer is like the third one. Yeah. The, well, the lead singer is covering, uh, Steve Perry. Well, that's the other weird thing. Let's talk about this. Is okay. when a magician goes, "Oh, he gave me permission to use that in my act." Mm-hmm. I don't fucking care. Mm-hmm. That you would never see me go on stage and do a Chris Rock joke, and then you go, "Hey, you know that's Chris Rock's joke," and then I go, "Oh no, no, I talked to Chris. He gave me permission." Because that would never happen. Yeah. No comedian would ever give you permission to do their joke. Yeah. Because jokes are supposed to be about you, first of all. Mm-hmm. And they're things that you work on. Yeah. So this idea of getting material from somebody is kind of crazy, too. Like, no, no, the DVD said I had permission to do the this presentation. Mm-hmm. I That's, sure, fine. But you're not an artist then. Yeah. Like, that's even, that, that can be more infuriating, too, is that idea of, like, I got permission. It's fine. It's okay. Yeah. Stop, like, that's stop giving like, people permission. Yeah. First of all, like people come up to me and go, oh, can I do this? I don't sell any of the tricks on my act. Yeah. And I don't have any plans on doing it. Yeah. Because it, it honestly doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I never understood that where a, a professional who's worked on their trick for 30 years goes, I'm now releasing it to the public. And that's always in the like description, mm-hmm. the sale description, like something he's been working on for 30 years with a thousand audience tested jokes and presentation. And that's why you should buy it. Mm-hmm. That's the opposite of why you should buy it. You're buying somebody else's act. Mm-hmm. Why is that person selling it? I don't understand how you could sell it. Because yeah. for me, these are my babies. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't want to sell it. Yeah. And I wouldn't want to buy it because it's yeah. not mine. So that's a very weird thing in the community that like, as from a comedian mindset, yeah. literally makes no sense. Yeah. But some people, they only buy stuff that they know has been like, when a guy says, oh, it's been in my act for 30 years. Like, yeah. I think uh, the, the way that I look at that because I'm I'm one of those guys that will buy stuff that's really old. I'll never do any of it because it's not it doesn't fit me. But oh, if you're buying it to just learn the lesson, I, sure. Exactly. I want to know like why it works. I want to know you know what they learned and how it applied to them doing their thing. And then maybe I can think about my own stuff in that sort sure. of way. But most people aren't. I think most people aren't doing that. Yeah. If they were buying it for that reason, I mean, power to them. Yeah. I think most people are like, oh, this will fit in my act. Yeah. They're shopping for their act. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, oh, guys, I, I had a new trick to my show. Oh, what what work did you do on it? Well, I watched the DVD. <laughs> like, that's not the work. The yeah. real work is, like, f- coming up with ideas. Like, I always tell the kids at Magic Camp, like, dream up your dream act. And if you can't figure out how to do it, the counselors here, your friends, we will figure out a method. There's a method for everything. Mm-hmm. We can make people fly. Yeah. 
We, I mean, we can do it. Yeah. So like if your dream is like, I want to walk out and I want four people to just think of words and then I want those words to be the headline of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. We can do that. I'm sure you and I can sit down and hammer out a method for that. Yeah. We can do it. I don't know if that trick exists. I don't think that trick exists as I just described it. But isn't that, isn't, shouldn't that be how like magic is created? Mm-hmm. Like a guy s- sits down and goes, this is the present, th- I want to express this idea about the futility of voting. Yeah. And so I'm going to have people come up with random words and it's going to sh- it's going to be the headline of the newspaper and that's going to demonstrate it. Yeah. That's how you start. Yeah. Then you do the research, then you find the tricks, and then you can modify things. Obviously, obviously there's a restraints. Yeah. Art is all about expressing the universal within a set of narrow constraints. Mm-hmm. Every every art is different constraints, and that's why arts are different. But that's it's about a universal idea within the framework your art allows. Mm-hmm. So yes, you might have to modify this the dream act that I came up with, but you want to make as few uh, sacrifices. sacrifices as you can. Yeah. As few concessions. Mm-hmm. But like we know, we never do that. So when you got, is like, oh, I have this newspaper trick. Hmm. What like what can I do? Or how yeah. many times do you see like card trick as metaphor? Yeah. Oh, this card is Houdini, and this box is the trunk he's escaping from. It's like you learned a trick, and they're like, shit. How do I? What can I do to dress up the thing, the card escaping from the box? And they're like, what's the iPhone case for? Uh, Houdini. Yeah. I wrote about it in Genie. I called it a first level idea. You want the third level idea. Mm-hmm. First level is the idea that anybody can think of. Yeah. The easiest joke. The easiest. Oh, I'm I'm escaping from handcuffs. Houdini presentation. Easiest idea. Mm-hmm. That's first level. Yeah. Second level. It's A to B. Right. It's right there. Yeah. A to B to C is second level. We were like, oh, okay. Like I, other magicians will probably figure out where the idea came from, but the lay person is surprised. In comedy, it's like. The other comedians know where your punchline is, but the uh, the lay audience might laugh at it. Yeah. And then there's the third level, which is A to B to Z, mm-hmm. which is something that even the comedians in the audience would be like, oh, I didn't see that joke coming. Yeah. It's the completely crazy idea. It's total subversion. Right. Yeah. So we need third level ideas. Mm-hmm. Like most presentations are first level. Maybe that's the best way to get that across. That's why iPhone case is first level. Yeah. Yeah. You covered it. We all had that idea mm-hmm. to cover the iPhone. Yeah. Your prop has a dragon on it. The first level idea is Chinese. Yeah. Because it's it's painted like a Chinese thing. Yeah. You have to strive not for first or second, but for third level. And also, the, you can't be knocked off at the third level. If somebody steals your third level idea, everyone will know it. Yeah. third level ideas are hard. Yeah. If somebody does basically any of my presentations the way I do them, it's going to be pretty obvious that it came from me. Yeah. Pretty obvious. A first level idea, you can't defend. Like every like if you say, oh no, I came up with the idea of doing color match as a coloring book. Mm-hmm. That's a first level idea. It's a coloring trick. Yeah. With markers. That's a thing that I think people don't talk about enough. What you're saying is and superhero is a second level idea. I'm gonna do a comic book character. Yeah. It's a it, you know, <clears throat> I think people don't ask themselves enough, or don't tell themselves enough. This is obvious. It's probably been done already. Yeah, they go, oh, this is obvious, but I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah. Or they go, oh, I, I just had this idea. That's what it is now. Exactly what you're saying. They're not going, they're not taking a minute to look at it and go, okay, yeah, this is, this is obvious. It's obvious. It's just, it's trite. Yeah. There's nothing special about it, but it's, <gasps> it's mine. Right. Cause it's your idea. Yeah. Yeah. First level idea is your idea, but first level idea. It's not only your idea. Is parallel thinking. Everybody's going to come up with that idea. Yeah. 
And it's funny too, because I've seen magicians all the time. They come up with their first or their second level idea, mm-hmm. and then they see another magician do it, and they go, that guy stole it from me. No, they didn't. Yeah. Your ideas are generic. Yeah. It's hard to, it, everybody has those jokes because they're easy. Mm-hmm. The only time you can really defend, be like, that guy stole my shit, is if you have a third level idea and somebody does it, you're like, that's freaking stolen. The other trick too is like I always when a comedian says oh somebody stole this joke from me I always go uh, you you go up to the guy and you go how did you come up with the joke because every joke because it's hard to write a joke or hard to create a magic trick yeah. that person can tell you the story yeah. the creative story from beginning to end mm-hmm. of like so I was doing I was watching The Usual Suspects and I had this idea for this moment and I was also at this show in Virginia and somebody asked me to do this and like every trick in my act I can tell you a like 10 minute song and dance of the beginning of the idea to where it is now it's an entire timeline Yeah. people who steal don't have that timeline they yeah. can't because their whole story is I saw this guy do it and then I put it in my act Yeah. so that's a really easy way to figure out if somebody stole it it's like how do you come up with the idea Yeah. and they can't tell you really concrete details then then you have a case Yeah. but if the guy but if it's a generic thing of just like oh yeah like that song has the word magic in it so I put it in my act somebody else is going to do that yeah Definitely somebody going to do that. He's a magic man. Right. Or a magic stick. <laughs> when I was in high school, I had magic stick. I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> that I walked out to magic stick. Or, uh, Which is also a penis thing. Like, I think I didn't realize at the time that I was walking out to, like, penis music. I think that's I think that that's probably why you turned into a comedian. Probably. Because I would walk <laughs> out to, yeah, I got a magic stick. Show me. Da, 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 and I can do magic. So he said I was walking out to like, hey, I got a penis. Let me do penis things to you. Yeah. And then I, hello, I'm here. a group. <laughs> People are like, okay, yes, I think so. Um, yeah, question everything in your art form too. Like, yeah. question the music that you play. What do you wear on stage? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many ma- magicians dress weird? <laughs> so weird. You seemed fit great last night. Thank you. Did it surprise you when I came up to you and told you what you were wearing? I loved it. Because I went out of my... So the funny thing about that suit, Mm -hmm. talking about coming up with creative stories. Yeah. Because what you wear is super important on stage. Yes. Um, I've been working on my Netflix special. Mm -hmm. Netflix doesn't know it's their special yet, but it's going to be there. Yeah. I have a website called IWantANetflixSpecial.com. Yeah. And then this year I updated it. I expanded my horizons. (laughs) So now the web address is I want a Netflix special, but CISO or Amazon is good too. Dot com. Um, CISO is great, by the way. CISO's great. You have it? It's fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. I've been on it twice. Oh, really? I'm on New York's Funniest, and I'm on um, Live at the Barrel House. It's the first episode of the new season. It's like Cameron Esposito's on it, uh, Matt Browninger, Rhea Butcher, Rhea Butcher and, uh, and me. So I have a full like 12-minute set on that if Fuck you have yeah. CISO. Um, That's great. It was a fun show to do. I had just come off tour. I'd done eight cities in 11 days, and that was my ninth city, I think. Yeah, that's my ninth city. No, eighth city. And uh, so I was, I had, t- I had some color. Oh, because like during the day we were like in Vancouver, and I was like, I'm gonna bike ride around a park. <laughs> so I actually like looked, I look, I was like, oh, I, I don't look like a vampire on camera. That's funny. Um, we were talking about. I went off so camera. you, you oh, the suit. The special in the suit. Yeah. Oh, so I filmed myself basically doing the special. I had the tape, mm-hmm. and I was like, nobody's ever beta tested a special. Nobody's ever like sent out a first draft of a special to their fans and said, send me feedback. And like that's what you do as comedians. You take the audience. You, the audience is giving you data. You use the data to make yourself better. Yeah. So I was like, let's do it with a special. Like, why not? So anybody who sent me an email, I sent them a copy of this rough draft of the special, mm-hmm. and said, send me notes. 
Like anything you don't like about it, let me know. Because when I do the action special, I will try to incorporate it as much as I can. Uh, and like, I'm gonna do that. You want to see it? Yeah. All right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, but okay, what about the listeners? If the listeners want to do it, absolutely. Go to I want a Netflix special um, or you just email me. It's uh, that email address is Harrison at I want a Netflix special dot com. <laughs> Yeah, and watch it. Tell me what you think. Yeah. Um, but I kept getting from two... Actually, one of my best friends took me up on it. And then uh, another fan took me up on it. And they both... I mean, other people than them too. But yeah. they, both of those people wrote back and said, I love the special. Um, there's very little that I could criticize. But your suit looks like shit. Two people. Yeah. Two people said that. I was like... The third probably. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> like, that's such an easy change. That's yeah. such an easy fix. It's just money and a little bit of time. Yeah. I was like, that I can fix. So the next week, I went to Suit Supply. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to drop at least seven or $800 on a suit. I'm going to get a really nice suit. Because yeah. the suit I had been wearing was a suit that I got in college that I had for like 10 years. It was like 200 bucks. Yeah. And it was, and it didn't fit me very well because I got it in college. So like, it never fit right. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to buy a kick-ass suit. Yeah. And I knew in my mind immediately what color. Like I had in my mind that it was going to be this like brightish blue because I want it. And I want it crimson because crimson would be like a little nod to Harvard yeah. as like a little foreshadow of what's going to happen later. But also like, just felt like the right look. And like, and when I watched the video again with with the shitty suit, I was like, it does set set my character off weird. Yeah. Because my character doesn't. My character should is confident. Yeah. And kind of cool. And he's of 2017. Mm-hmm. He's not a throwback character. Yeah. So why would he dress well? Yeah. Especially if it's gonna be a special. Yeah. So that even that something dumb as the suit, like as soon as I got that feedback, I was like, fuck it, we're changing the suit. Yeah. So that so when you pointed out the suit, I was like. It worked. <laughs> yeah. It absolutely showed that the process works. Yeah. And now people come up to me and say, like, nobody ever mentioned what I wore before. Yeah. And now after every show, at least one person is like, that's a really nice suit. Yeah. I think it makes a big difference. It absolutely makes a big difference. So, like, that was even that kind of thing. But that was that, that came from getting feedback from the special. Yeah. What do you wear on stage doing comedy when you're just doing comedy? I would love to wear a suit if I could, but it, it sets me to... Comedy is weird because the audience does not want you to feel like they're better than them. When you're on a stage in a theater, you can wear a suit because you're already on an elevated platform. Yeah. There's an expectation with magic a the little bit. The context is appropriate. The context works. Mm-hmm. And you don't look like you're being an asshole. Mm-hmm. If I'm in a basement, mm-hmm. a dark basement, like the Comedy Cellar is literally the basement of a restaurant. Yeah. You walk on in a nice $700 suit, the audience is like, what the... F-? You know you're 100 people in a basement, right? Yeah. And everybody else has gone on in a hoodie. Mm-hmm. So you try to dress elevated so that they know that you've thought about it, um, but you can't be so far above the audience. Yeah. Because the audience is wearing, like, T-shirts. Yeah. So, you, so that I will wear something like this. Yeah. Where it's, like, kind of cool because it's, like... You don't it fits right and it's it you know fits like you're well. chrome and there's like there's definitely taste but it's not like I clearly showered yes <laughs> that's the, the impression I want to give showered I clearly showered I clearly like dry cleaned or pressed pressed the shirt you didn't stumble in by accident yeah this is no accident I'm on stage some comedians will do that they literally are wearing whatever hoodie is like on the bed yeah and that's their character though my persona is I'm like I'm definitely I definitely know what I'm doing yeah I want people to go like okay he's He's a he's he's done this. He has technique. Yeah. So I've got to look put together, mm-hmm. but not so put together that that I f- they feel like I'm an asshole. Yeah. 
So like, but I love wearing a suit. Like after after the show that we did, I ran to another show, which was at Birdland, which is like sort of a jazz club. So I took the tie off because I knew if I walked on in a tie, I felt a little bit too. Because everybody on that show is doing like are like Broadway singers and like jazz singers. It really stretches the piano player. He's like Liza Minnelli's pianist. So it's like a classy venue. Yeah. But I wanted them when it, when they saw me on stage to go like he's comedian. He's a little relaxed. Yeah. And so like take, wearing a suit without a tie is like oh this guy just got off of work. Or like this guy it gives you that little yeah. breather. And it's sexy man. It is kind of so sexy. sexy. Yeah it's a good look. Fucking look at Tom Ford every day he wears the same so thing. So great. Black suit unbuttoned down to here. It's the best. That's him. What a great vibe. Yeah. I almost want to do that now. Yeah. Um, for magic because it's such and a cool fucking it is you never so see cool. that. No. I want to try that now. You look like you've got some good chest hair, too. I have the Jewy. It's like a bat signal. Oh, great. It like kind of looks like a bat. It's very weird. That's cool. And the second I point it out to somebody, then they immediately are like... No, 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 no. Yeah, then they'll never unsee the bat. Oh, that's super so it's, it's a bad idea to point it out. <laughs> you gotta, but yeah, you could, you could rock the chest hair in the suit. And that's another that's thing, too. Thing, that's something I do from Ooh. time to time. You do, do like a low V-neck? I feel like you're yeah. on the beach. What is your beach wear? Who goes to the beach? Fuck that. I live in San Diego. (laughs) I'm just trying to picture you in a non-formal context. Yeah. Like, what's your least formal outfit? Is this it? Basically. I love that. Do you just have a series of vests in your closet? So I I don't... I I wouldn't wear this. It's cold, so I'm like wearing this. uh, But like, the shirt... That's great. And a spread collar? Yeah. That's very fashion forward. Yeah. I was was about to say is one thing that... I have noticed has helped me with my act is a lot of magicians will be like, oh, I've been, they'll tell me their thing. I'm working on this. Yeah. And then next year you see them and you go, oh, so how did that thing go? And they're like, oh, I'm still working. Like I still haven't built it or I still, yeah. and like I, the performers that I've seen do really well and something that I try to do is when I come up with a dumb idea, even a dumb idea, yeah. I do it. Yeah. Like that snuggy, like the Jewish star glowing on it was a dumb idea. Mm-hmm. I was like, I wanted to, I want to, I want it to glow. And then it took like, three months of R&D to figure out how do you how do you make a glow like how do you make a snuggie with a switch that lights up a thing because I'm not I didn't know electronics so I had yeah. to teach myself electronics and like all that shit yeah. last night the dreidels were new yeah the dreidels were brand new um, and it, it cost me that three second bit so that I guess people who haven't seen my act yeah. there's a moment where I put on a snuggie and I've been talking about being a Jewish ninja and then somebody in the audience will always say Oh, it's a Snuggie. Because I call it my ninja robe. I never say Snuggie. They go, it's a Snuggie. And then I go, the lighting cue is, can your Snuggie do this? And in one moment, the lights go out. My A Jewish star ignites on my chest. And now there's like these dreidels projected on the backdrop. Havana Nagila is playing. I'm dancing a little bit. The audience is clapping. It lasts four seconds. And then it immediately, the, everything shuts off and returns to the way it was originally. It's just nothing ever happened. And, it's, and it, it really appears like nothing ever happened, too. Because you're over here when the lights are off. And the lights come on. And, you're and I've moved. Yeah. I've moved. It's a great, yeah. It's the, that one, if, if I, that that moment was like a, it's supposed to be my like Family Guy Simpsons non sequitur moment, mm-hmm. like where a cartoon does a smash cut. Yeah, and I always wondered like, can I do a smash cut in a live show? And that's the only way to do it is to turn lights off and turn lights back on. You did it, yeah. So it's my smash cut of like, oh, like oh, it's a Jewish nuggie, and then cuts to the next scene and then cuts back. Yeah. But that was uh, in order to get the dreidels on the back because I never tech that because that's a brand new thing. Yeah. It's actually funny because I was talking to my best friend about it and he bought it for me on Amazon before I could buy it. Um, I was like, oh, this is going in. I had to show up at the theater like two hours early so I can get there before the audience. T- 
tech it, set it up. So normally I could just roll in. So that three second, four second moment cost me two extra hours of tech time. Yeah. But it was worth it. Yeah. And it was just to play. It was like, let's see if it's, and if it, if the dreidel somehow didn't work or took away from the trick, I would cut it in the next show. But I needed to have, for me, if I don't do something different in every show, then I'm wasting that show. Yeah. So I had to play with it. And like Tony did something where, which is different. Normally I do the white baby and then somebody says black baby and I have a, I have a, the way of doing it. Yeah. And he jumped to the Asian baby. So I was like, can I short circuit? it and it screwed up the rhythm a little bit um, but it was a good it was a good thing to play with yeah does the joke work without one of the things yeah because I like to keep changing stuff until it breaks and <laughs> then I know I found the absolute breaking point yeah and that's the thing you also don't find is most people once they you see a lot of guys just freeze their magic act it's frozen we've done it's done yeah I do it this way and I do it exactly this way for 30 years till I die yeah and like that's crazy mm-hmm. like I have jokes that I love that I've done for years that kill and I'm still messing with them I'll keep I'll keep changing lines until I break a joke that works yeah well it's like Seinfeld is you know constantly Seinfeld is one of those guys that's kind of like a magician in that he does jokes for decades but unlike magicians he's tweaking every pause every letter he's removing letters you know like that yeah. kind of thing well it's funny so this is going to be name dropping so I was hanging out with Seinfeld and uh, I was doing a show with Seinfeld yeah. Gad Elmaleh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a three person show Seinfeld Gad Elmaleh who's like the Jerry Seinfeld of France and a guy that I open for frequently he's amazing um, and me um, and we're all hanging out in the green room and we we had like a half hour before showtime and it's Jerry's there and Gad and I are both like the master like he's like Yoda at this point yeah like everything he says is like perfect comedy gold like <laughs> like god damn it like I just want to sit here and just like I just want to soak you in yeah and what we're talking like it's not like anything and you just you know that's what I kind of would imagine he's just very non-threatening yeah I don't he doesn't wear like he's not like wearing a strong cologne he's not the guy who's like wants you to smell him he just wants to be yeah he's not drawing attention to himself yeah but he, um, we were talking about working on material, and I, Gad is working on a special. Um, he just came out with his French special, but he's working on his English special. Um, and I was working, I'm still working on my special. And we we're all talking about it, and I was like, yeah, I can't wait to finish it and just burn it down and start on new stuff. And he, he made an interesting comment, which was, the comedy community is, is starting to get to a point where like Louis comes out with a special every year. Yeah. And that, the, the fastest guy before him was George, George Carlin. Yeah. And George Carlin was doing it every two years. Yeah. And that felt kind of fast. Yeah. And now Louis doing it every year and Jerry rightfully was like, when did that happen? Like, why is that a thing now? Like, yeah. why can't we spend five years on a special or 10 years on a special? Mm-hmm. And that's what Jerry has done. Like, Jerry... How many specials does he have? I think two yeah. in his whole career. He just signed with Netflix, so he's going to come out with two new specials. So we will see two new hours. Yeah, the, I think this hour, that the first hour, is basically there because he's been working mm-hmm. really hard. Yeah. He gets up still a lot. Um, so then, then he's going to have to burn it and do a whole new hour, mm-hmm. which is cool. And for him, like open mic, just like working on new shit, is the beacon. Yeah. That's his residency. Yeah. Like, that's that's to me amazing. Is that like, for me, I have to go to like, a, sh- a little show at a comedy club is 50 people. That's me working on my new stuff. Yeah. Him working on new stuff is a fucking 3,000 seat theater yeah. that I performed at once. It was like the highlight of my career. Yeah. And he's like, that's just where I work on my shit. Because yeah. he side fell. But I really think that's, I think there's a happy medium between coming out with new shit every year and only coming out with stuff every 30 years. Yeah. But I think Jerry is like trying to feel that out. And I think 
every three or four years is a nice is nice it's reasonable it's like because not everybody's fucking louis they can't like you but his point too because we, we were talking about louis and like we all obviously respect him yes, entirely but like if louis took an extra year how much better would that special be yeah like it would probably be more polished yeah not that it's not a polished beautiful hilarious thing yeah but I don't think any comedian will get worse after working on it for another year. Yeah. So I do think you've got to work on it. But like, yeah, especially if you're going to be the guy who only has their one act for the rest of their life, mm-hmm. you should be try to fuck yourself up. Try. Yeah. Sometimes the best stuff comes from me from me sabotaging myself. Yeah. I like to get myself in trouble on stage and then see if I can figure my way out of it. Because sometimes that yields a joke that I really like. Like, that Tetris joke came from me talking to a Russian guy and be like, what do I have on Russia? And the only thing I could think of was Tetris. Yeah. Because it's a Russian video game. Yeah. Blocks. That's Blocks. That's, and, that's, and then I started working on it, working it out. Yeah. But that joke came from getting in trouble. Yeah. And I love doing that. I love, like, go on stage and be like, I don't really know where this is going. Let's let's force myself in the moment to come up with something. To be there, yeah. And because your body is in a different state on stage than it is off stage, yeah. So you're a better creator sometimes while you're in the moment. Mm-hmm. This is not for everybody, yeah. And it's and the more experience you have, the better you will be at being able to get in trouble and know you can get out of it. Yeah. Like if you're a new magician and you're listening to this, don't like. Let me walk on stage without a script and see what happens. You're gonna fail. Yeah. And you will learn nothing except and you will not learn to do. You will that. learn not to do that. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's a really key point. It's like, be like a comedian and... Is it, I hope the squeaky is not going to end up on this entire oh, thing. Yeah, it is. Oh, sorry, guys. I'm in a squeaky desk chair. So if you... That's what it is. Uh, or imagine me just doing little tiny farts the whole time. <laughs> um, yeah, just like add little bits and little moments and like... Every, every little moment in your show is earned that way. Yeah. It's like trying something new and seeing... Yeah. Like slapping the guy on the ass. Like I did that one night. Just because it felt it felt right in the moment and it killed. I was like, I'm keeping that. Yeah, that's such a fun for me. Yeah. Or I mean, little every little moment in the show that gets a laugh is generally from like me. Just it'll be kind of wouldn't it be crazy? Yeah. I, that's the random number song. Was I was at the castle doing the cell phone thing without a song, and I was like, let me let me play around at GarageBand. I stayed up all night. I was like in my they give you like an apartment. I'm just in the apartment recording music into an iPhone, mixing it on GarageBand. And then that night, I'm like, let's see. Let's give me three performances to see if this music really does it add to it. And then I tweak the song between the first three performances and the next day's three performances. And I was like, okay, this is workable. But it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have the, just like the need to just like, just fuck shit up. Yeah. That was the squeak. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. No. And and once you get comfortable doing your material, then and you're in the moment, then you you have that room because you have the permission. You know, the audience is there to seek you generally. Yeah. So you you have given they have explicitly given you permission to do your act, and they don't know what that's going to be. So you. You, ha- you you can take stock in the fact that like you can comfortably try something new and they have already given you permission for that yeah and know your audience I mean there if you if I look at my calendar I can point to each show and go can definitely work on new stuff should not work on new stuff yeah. could definitely work on new stuff um, there are gonna be shows that you have to just be on your a game yeah um, but plan like that's what I think is interesting is you have magicians who like they definitely are very good about 
booking themselves out on all these shows, but very bad about booking themselves on purposely shitty shows for shitty money. Mm-hmm. Magicians are very good about making money, and sometimes it hurts them. Yeah. Comedians don't, never make money, like until they're famous. Yeah. So we're used to getting paid zero to twenty-five dollars a spot. Yeah. So if you call me up and say, "Hey, can you do fifteen minutes on my show tonight?" The, there's no pay. Every comedian says yes, but magicians would be like, "Oh, I don't go out for less than five hundred dollars." Yeah. Do a show for shitty money. And be okay with the fact that you're going to give, you're going to be working on new stuff. Like, that's why you're getting this shitty money. Like, for me, sometimes getting offered a shitty money gig is free. It's liberating, yeah. Because I'm like, great. Like, it's not like, if you call me up and say, I want you to do my child's bat mitzvah and you don't have enough money, you know, you only have $100. Yeah. I'm not going to say, great, I'll do it and then do a shitty show for you. Yeah. I'd rather... I'd rather either get the right money and do a right show or pass in that case. Yeah. But when it comes to like a public show where it's like a variety show, like a variety show with a bunch of different acts and they want a 15 minute magic act and they don't pay any of their variety acts, do it. Yeah. Just get the, get the experience. Get the stage, stage time. time. It's stage time, stage time, stage time. Yeah. Jamie and Swiss and, and, and Penn and Teller always talk about flight time mm-hmm. that like pilots just have to get in the air. Yeah. And I agree. You just have to get in the air because then all the shit that could go wrong goes wrong and you have the ability to deal with it. That's the other side of it too is like gremlins. <laughs> like, <What? laughs> we were talking about this last night. Like there's every, there's gremlins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. always this little, it's that little, like that little dude pops up in your act. Yeah. It always does. Yeah. My gremlin last night was, I forgot it's to selfie put a selfie stick out. Yeah. And that's a minor gremlin. Yeah. Because I can very easily work around that. Yeah. But I walked out with the prices right without the coupon on the back. <laughs> That's a much tougher gremlin to deal with. Yeah. But after you deal with it once, you're like, all right, I'm ready for anything. Like, yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Let it let it come. I've done this act so many times, I can get around it, presumably. Yeah. Or if not, build up my character to the point that, like, my assessment of it will work. Yeah. Like, I've had tricks go wrong, but within character, I can make it funny enough that some people... That's the that's the best case scenario. Is people come up to me after show and go like, "I bet you screwed that up on purpose. It was so funny." I was like, "No, no, he <laughs> legitimately broke." Yeah, but like you want them to feel like, "Wow, that was so funny. It was worth it." So maybe yeah. he did it on purpose. Yeah, that's so fun. That's the whole point. And that's like, I, I, there's this is a weird thing that I uh, last time I was at Largo. Uh, yeah, who are you there to see? I love Largo. Pete Holmes. Ah, oh, love Pete. He's my love of Pete, and he loves magic. I know. I've done magic. Loves magic. A lot. Every time I hang out with Pete, he's like, "Let me show you this thing." <laughs> so I'm always giving him like little tips. I uh, I was uh, I was at Largo, and he did a show with uh, Bill Burr, Judd Apatow, and Sarah Silverman. That's a crazy, crazy show. Uh, you know, I I was doing magic for Pete and Sarah, and she fucking hates magic. She hates magic. Even though one of her specials is Jesus is magic. And she was heckling me the whole time. And oh, I love it. It was glorious. It was so fun. Because I'm like real comfortable doing magic in close up. Right. And so like I was just like fucking with her and like. It's great. Just, yeah. I mean, the comedy cellar, there's that table. It's like the legendary table where like you have to get past the cellar to sit at. Yeah. And I remember I'd finally gotten past at the cellar and they found out I did magic. And I was like doing magic for everybody. And like every comedian would be like, I know everybody else hates magic, but I love it. But I'm like, no, no, everybody feels that way. Yeah. But I, I do really think it's, they go on the road as a feature when they're starting out and there's a headlining magician who's doing like the shit they've seen before, the hackiest shit. They're killing with it. And he sits there going like, I'm working so hard and not getting the same amount of laughs. And this guy does nothing and he's killing and making more money than me. Yeah. And so they all have that little seed of resentment. Yeah. And I think we can erase it because magic is lovely. Like 
we all love I think every comedian secretly does love magic yeah. but they can't they can't express it without giving up part of their artistic integrity in that sense yeah. so like let, let's, let's help them out and do good magic yeah but so many times when, when a comedian finds out I do magic I'm like oh I want to see it <laughs> they're so much more excited about that yeah or at the comedy magic club in Hermosa yeah it's always oh, it's almost always all the comedians grilling the magician asking him a, miz, a bazillion questions about magic because mm-hmm. all they do is talk about comedy so they yeah. want to know about magic yeah it's fun I think the I think that's a thing that uh, is not explored enough in magic is that the audience wants to know about magic. It's a fascinating life. Yeah, they want to know like what when people ask how did you get into magic or why do you do magic, they're not asking for your origin story. They're asking why it's your passion. Yeah, you know. And also, isn't that weird that like I mean, at the very beginning of my set, I talk about how magic is like being gay and like I talk about sexuality stuff. Yeah. It's weird that I I was the first guy that I've heard do that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like, it's weird. Because, mm-hmm. like, as a comedian, your natural inclination is to, to talk about what you're experiencing. Yeah. Like, talking about what your life is. There's a lot of jokes of, like, I call this trick, uh, didn't have any friends till I was four. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Or till I was... 24 14. whatever yeah there's there's that there's the one hacky self-deprecatory joke that everybody does yeah. but like how many times do I want to be like maybe that guy wasn't maybe that guy had a lot of friends yeah and so he's just doing the joke because it's a reflex mm-hmm. but like tell me that more way more interesting story about how you had a ton of friends yeah. and then decided to do magic or you were a doctor and then you now you're a magician like yeah. why did you give up this thing to do this thing yeah why did you go to Harvard and decide to be a magician right and, and I, the, I, there's a line that I get to do last night that I love doing because I'll, I'll normally throw it in if I'm not getting much from the guy with the snuggie it's a line I can throw in where I go uh, you know I went to Harvard and now I'm doing this full time they kind of cancel each other out mm-hmm. it's like being straight and being stuck with this voice it's great so it's so, a nice little t- bow tie on a couple of plot points yeah um, but like even that kind of stuff where like that tells you who I am. Yeah. And I it's think, all adding to this cohesive experience. Yeah. It's, and it, that people always go like, oh, I want to build a routine. I'm routining. Yeah. The easiest way to routine is just to have a character that's so strong that every trick you do in character feels like part of your show. Yeah. That's a way to do it. Mm-hmm. Copperfield's tricks all feel like Copperfield tricks. Yeah. Because he's doing the same process with each one. There's that song and like, there's the like fans blowing for no reason he has a story there's a lot of people in there it gets warm and how many goddamn (laughs) illusionists do we have to see now who are just doing Copperfield yeah the sit down and tell a story about your grandfather and then do the fucking trick that's ridiculous that's a Copperfield thing Mm -hmm. that's Copperfield's presentational angle you don't Rudy Kobe I remember loving his specials when I was a kid in Fo- when he was on Fox yeah because it was so different yeah he was this like living comic book character he was amazing yeah and he was nothing like Copperfield and they were both doing illusion shows mm-hmm. there's no reason for your show to be anywhere close to Copperfield yeah some people are just doing fucking Copperfield they just well they see it and they go yeah that, that looks great I love that I love that I want to give the audience what I feel Right. That's what that's what they're doing, and so it's not guided by, you know, it's, it's not in, ill-intentioned. Right. It's actually very noble. It's just sometimes dumb. it is creative laziness, though. They're oh, like, it's absolutely. Oh, I want to laziness. give them that feeling, so I might as well just do, just do a thing. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, and that's that. You know, that first level thing is like. I like that. I'm going to do the same thing for them. It's just the first level. It's yeah. Like, yeah. So. Well, it's like out of sight, like Josh J's trick that he did on Fool Us. 
um, I bought it and I, and I I knew this before I bought it I was like I just want to play with this because this is a very cool trick yeah. and I was like I will never ever be able to perform this trick because Josh put his stamp on it so hard mm-hmm. there's no way mm-hmm. but I bet you I, there has got to be a bunch of people out there doing the, the entire presentation of Josh J and like that's that's so weird to me like that trick is, should be unsellable in a weird way because like you can't present it without doing it that way. Yeah. And it's not really exciting Well, to, to do something else somebody has done. I wonder if it is like, I don't want to be me. I want to be Josh J. Well, when you're starting, when you're a kid, mm-hmm. like every comedian is a reflection of their favorite comedian when they start. Of course. You Greg Giraldo. You have to try on your influences. Yeah. And Greg Giraldo will tell you, he's like, my first special, if, if, I, if well, he's dead now, but he would have told you. <laughs> That when he closes his eyes and listens to his first special, he just hears David Tell. Yeah. All over that special. I don't hear it as much because I'm I already hear Greg's voice in it. Yeah. But you can see what he's saying. Like if you if you really study Dave and then you watch that special, mm-hmm. you can see the inflection. And then gradually he makes his way into being Greg. I think every performer is just you just put all of your favorite things in a blender, mm-hmm. not just your favorite magicians, your favorite musicians and your favorite artists and your favorite movies and you put them all in a blender and then you blend it so well that only you can untie what the influences are. And that's what your quote unquote original persona is. It's just this incredibly precise montage of all these. Like if you look at my stand-up act, there's little pieces of Sarah Silverman. There's little pieces of Louis Black. There's little pieces of Attell and, and Louis Black. I think I said Louis. Yeah, Greg Giraldo. Yeah. Um, Carlin, Pryor. There's little pieces of all of my favorite comics. Mm-hmm. Little lessons. And that's a better way to say it. There's little lessons. Yeah. Each one of those comics taught me something mm-hmm. that I've then incorporated in some way into my act. Yeah. There's a little Gilbert Godfrey. There's a little, uh, you know, David Tell. There's a little bit of everything. Yeah. If it was just one guy, that would be a huge problem. Yeah. If all the lessons come from the same guy. Yeah. But most magicians aren't just taking little lessons. They're taking the actual routines. Yeah. That's not a lesson. Yeah. I don't know. Did we fix the magic world? Did we just fix the whole thing? I think we did it. I think we solved all the issues. I'm counting on my fingers. I was about to say. I was like, "You're doing." I was like, "He's doing." He's not just silent. He's doing something visual. But since this is audio only, there's also he's not wearing pants. He's which is that's kind I of the way to last go. Night. I told you last night that we could do it naked. Feel, I feel like so without context, this is much better. <laughs> so I'm just saying, I prepared. I'm here uh, without pants on. Yeah. I think there's nothing better than a guy who's wearing no pants. Like, the, the the contrast between vest, tie, widespread collar, button down, and then just nothing below. That's yeah. that's what sells the humor. Yeah, it is. And it's better because I don't wear underwear. If you're wearing a t-shirt and no pants, eh. Yeah. Been there, done that. It's the contrast. But. It's the status uh, uh shit contrast yeah it was my last genie article was about contrast all comedy comes from contrast and if you're not getting a big enough laugh you need to push away the two components that are contrasting yes yeah yeah. like a joke it's good oh thank you i really enjoy people read it all right yeah um yeah i status change i think is what i was right high low high low exactly so crazy guy straight guy yeah so so you go from top to bottom it's like Boom. Halfway down, you go, oh, fuck. <laughs> this is not what I thought it was. You know, but anyway, we're now explaining the joke that isn't real. How do they know? He says it's not real, but I insist on its realness. <laughs> All right. Well, give it up real close. I'll undo my belt. <laughs> um, yeah. What are some of the things you don't like about comedy? 
that I don't like about comedy. Um, you mean like, the art or the business? The business. Because like, the business is the politics. brutal. Oh, all of it. I hate all of it. All the politics. <laughs> I, I mean, we just want to be artists. Mm-hmm. It's show business. And so I get that there's business. Yeah. But obviously, in an ideal world, it would just be show. Mm-hmm. Like, all the nonsense sucks. Like, it sucks that in order to get 15 minutes of pleasure or whatever, 45 minutes of pleasure of being on stage with the audience, yeah. there's a lot of bullshit. Mm-hmm. I mean, the travel isn't so bad. I mean, I'm sure if I get a, have a wife and kids, it would be awful. That would be awful. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, all the just like, yeah, comedy is hyper competitive. Mm-hmm. Hyper competitive. Because uh, everybody's, it's all every man and woman for themselves. Mm-hmm. So I don't like that. Um, and and the industry is is really fickle, and it's not a meritocracy. I mean, that's all of entertainment, but it's so frustrating to be like, because in comedy you get a report card at the end of every show. You know how you did. Yeah. So with like maybe with music, you're like, I think I'm a pretty good singer, but like you're not sure per se. Comedy, you know that you're a killer or not. Yeah. And so you would think the you would think that all the A pluses would get TV shows, then they would go to the Bs, then the Cs, and the Ds. But that's not at all how it works. So that's very frustrating for somebody like me who's like a goody two shoes, like Val Victorian, like good at school kind of thing. Yeah. For me, like the people who get the, the best grades should get all the things. Problems. Yeah. People who do better should get better things. <laughs> and comedy is not that. Yeah. Too many friends I know who are so good and they don't get the things they deserve and then too many people who are shitty who get these amazing things they're like what it's just not fair name names right exactly <laughs> um, but there's so there's so many great people that like people don't even know who they are and they're mm-hmm. so fucking great mm-hmm. um, Jessica Kirsten and John Fish and Mike Vecchio like I can name names nobody will know who these people are yeah and then when you look them up they're like holy shit these people are amazing yeah I mean Nate Bergazzi Stephen Bergazzi's son yeah is phenomenal yeah. and he's doing very well don't get me wrong he has Comedy Central specials and yeah. he's on Fallon all the time but like that guy but still is, people have never heard of him he's been doing it for 15 years yeah. or more at this point he started probably more than 15 years and he's still not a household name and he's amazing yeah he's great that's really frustrating mm-hmm. um, he was a magic fest I know yeah it was great it was, I heard about that he fucking killed he's a, he's a, he's a murderer yeah I, I enjoyed his stand-up so he, he came out he, and he performed with his dad which oh, was very touching it was like really sweet I got emotional at the end of it I can imagine because um, I bet you never gets to do that yeah right uh, and so he did he just did like magician jokes in that portion and then at midnight he did like his set right uh, and I, I loved his set but he fucking murdered with those magician jokes of course and I was like these these are structurally great jokes, but no one else in the world would think this is funny. Right. And, and, and it was just like so fascinating to me, like how exactly know your audience, you know, like he lasered into all the little things that he knows that nobody else in the world knows about being the child of a magician. Right. And then fucking murdered and set himself up to then come back and do stand up and people are like, this guy's fucking hilarious. And he just said it. And he gets to be like the juggler at the magic invention where it's yeah. like he's doing something so different that it's like refreshing. Yeah. Last year, I was at Magic Fest the year before, mm-hmm. and that was the first time they did a stand-up night. Yeah. And it was fun to do, just like an adult, first of all, an adult show. Although Nate's clean, so I guess his probably was all ages, but uh, it was like an adults-only show. And we did that at um, SAM, too. There was The first night was adults-only 
stuff and then the next night was like more traditional thing yeah. but it's kind of cool to like I think that's fun to showcase that stuff and especially with comedy like I love the idea of magicians seeing stand-up comedy and be like oh that's what jokes look like yeah jokes you're supposed to make somebody laugh every 20 seconds yeah. I think we're so used to like our standard for what comedy is and magic is so low yeah it's no, the so clean low hand. yeah that's such a low bar yeah and somebody like Nate shows I think a whole convention worth of people like oh that's what's funny is. but how many people are gonna steal at least one of those jokes from the from his magic set oh yeah I've already done some there you go <laughs> <laughs> no you're absolutely right I, you know it's it, it, it's like there's not they don't know what the lesson is to learn they just know that there's something to learn yeah. so they just grab the easiest thing which is that's a really funny joke it did really well I'm going to take that instead of that's a really funny joke it did really well how did he do that yeah. I should try and do that for myself I mean how many people just riff off the top like yeah. you're a magician you walk out into a new venue you should acknowledge the venue in some way mm-hmm. like your act should always be changing it should be this organic thing if your act is robotically repeated over and over again something is horrifyingly wrong yeah so you've got to be in the moment. Yeah. <sighs> I've gotten you to sigh. This is a good... Is this good or bad? No, it's great. All I, right. I usually sigh at about two hours. So that's what we know. Ah, okay. Um, and it's not because... It's just like we've talked about a lot of things and I have a lot of feelings and... Feelings? Yeah. What kind of feelings? Just the magicians. I don't know how to... I'm doing the best I can. To fix it. To fix it, yeah. It's, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. I mean, I think... No, we did solve it. Like, you know... I mean, all the information is here. We solved it. Met. Yeah, if you listen to this podcast, we've, we've fixed you. We've fixed you. If you listen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think it's... I'm trying to be more zen about it lately, because it did make me really angry yeah. at first. Like, literally angry. You seem like the kind of guy. And now I'm trying to be more zen about it. Yeah. And just approach it as like, I'm not... I can't fix everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not my place to fix anybody. Yeah. Because um, a lot of this is just my opinion, and I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, but let me do the art the way I think it should be done. And if it works, it acts as a, as a model. Yeah. And that's why I started doing so much more magic, was mm-hmm. I, I had shifted entirely to comedy, and then I had been talking about magic so much, I was like, well, i got to put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. If I think this is how magic should be done, let me show that it can be done that way. Yeah. Let me show that it's even possible. Mm-hmm. Like, what about a comedy magic act that is stand-up based? Yeah. Like, legit stand-up based. Not just it was performed in a stand-up club, but has jokes that could be done without magic yeah. and still work and be funny. Because mm-hmm. all those jokes, I, I take... I basically grow them in the garden of my stand-up act and then rip them out and put them in the magic act. Yeah. They're all tested first, in the, which is so funny because sometimes it's like, oh, I really need to get this joke working because like, I gotta put it in the magic act. <laughs> or I'll do a joke and I'm like, oh, this one's gonna go into the magic act. Because mm-hmm. sometimes I do a joke in my stand-up act and I'm like, this will never migrate, ever. What's the criteria? There's, well, if it's a short joke that can fit within, like the newspaper joke, mm-hmm. which again is built on the bones of like, I would like to do some kind of monologue, like late nighty, like current events based thing yeah. it gives me buckets when you write sketches they always talk about joke buckets mm-hmm. like any late night thing you see like um, like thank you notes Jimmy Fallon's thank you notes is a joke bucket because mm-hmm. it doesn't tell you what the jokes have to be but there's a bucket for what format you need exactly so my current events joke bucket is the newspaper trick mm-hmm. my crowd work bucket is the price is right trick so each one kind of fits in a bucket um, my actual physical comedy bucket is the, the toxic where I can climb over people and be like really physical yeah so I, I come up with all these different things that I want to find and then you can find a joke bucket for it. 
So the newspaper is a great joke bucket because it's anything that's current events. Yeah. So that was the first time I had to do the newspaper where I had to get rid of all the Obama stuff mm-hmm. and replace it with Trump stuff. Because mm-hmm. to continue doing Obama jokes would be like... Well, I know that was hard too. Out of date. There's a shortage of Trump material. So. Well, there's a shortage of Trump material that works in an audience that's split 50-50 in favor and against. Yeah. That's the needle that you have to thread yeah. with Trump jokes is that there's going to be somebody in the audience who's just like... I, but I agree with him. He's a great man. He's doing all the great things. And then there's going to be somebody right next to him who's like, that guy is the devil. Yeah. It was pretty funny. So last night you said there are two kinds of people in the world. And the girl behind me said people that voted for Trump and the other ones. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Evidently, somebody else was sitting next to a guy who literally, he was like, was in tears during the whole show, clapping, would like nudge him and go, that's hilarious. And they did a Trump joke and he goes, mm. Like he was vis- he audibly you could hear his anger. Oh wow! And then he immediately snapped back. Yeah. But the, I think the key is starting that needle. Where like maybe he'll fill it out a little bit inside of him. Because mm-hmm. I have a point of view. I'm ag- I'm against him and what he yeah. stands for. Yeah. So I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna pretend that I'm not against him. But I do want to make fun of things that even somebody who's a, who's in favor of him is like. That like is the, ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, like the Russian stuff with Tetris, or like making a joke about the wall. So that I get, I'm referencing jokes that no, they don't know. Um, yeah. I, I have a quick line where I go, "I'm now everything is backwards." Like I'm in, I'm at this point in favor of the wall just to protect the Mexicans from us. Yeah, and that which joke, is a great bit. That's a that's a good joke. Oh, thanks. Um, but I think the the key word that with, for that is structurally it works. Mm-hmm. So even if you are in favor of the wall, mm-hmm. you can still be like, oh, I kind of laugh. Because I'm saying your point of view. I'm saying I'm in support of the wall. So we yeah. agree. Yeah. In, even though I'm being ironic. But yeah, we're You're agreeing. We're technically agreeing. The first part and then with this other p- group of people. In the yeah. Part. So I think I can get the whole audience on that. Yeah. Instead of some comics now are like just going way out. Just like Trump is Hitler. And yeah. you're like, you're not going to win any. You're not going to change any minds with that. Yeah. So you've got to like thread the needle on that kind of thing. Yeah. We keep going off topic, I feel like. What do you mean? That's a good act. Oh, okay, good. Good, good, good. There's oh, we're talking about topic. fixing magicians and not being angry. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and it comes from a sense of honesty. Yeah. That's the main thing. So like the, the main affliction for comedians is laugh ears, where they hear laughs that don't exist. Yeah. They just don't, they're like, oh, I killed. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. you did not kill. And so they never change their jokes, so they never get funnier. Mm-hmm. A comedian can very easily get funnier. It's, it's a hard process. Yeah. Easy to understand, hard to master, like any of those like board games. Yeah. You just tell the joke. If it doesn't get a laugh, you rewrite the joke, and then you keep repeating it until the joke gets a laugh every single time. Yeah. And you just rinse and repeat over thousands of performances. And if you do the process honestly and diligently, you will get really funny by the end of it. Yeah. You get through that process. Yeah. With magic, it's not laugh ears. It's like this astonishment ears. Mm-hmm. Where like they hear the applause of the audience and they go, I got it. Yeah. And they just stop. But it's not about, it's what what is the nature of the response that you're getting? Mm-hmm. Are they applauding you for what you've done as an artist? Or are they appllauding the inventor and writer of the trick that you're just parroting? Yeah. You've got or to be honest. even lower than that, are they applauding because that's what they know they're supposed to do? But they right, because really you did like a, one of those hacky like da da, yeah. like you literally stood there and did it. Yeah, um, and that's kind of what the baby trick is parroting too. Is that like mm-hmm. ta da moment instead of just going, "Come on, you guys are going to applaud," to literally be like yell at the audience. Yeah. When I do it in an adult show, I tell them to go fuck themselves. Like yeah. I literally be yelling till I'm red in the face. Yeah. Um, because it's like a funny thing like you never see a magician snap yeah yeah like what, I was like that's where that came from I, like, I want to see a magician snap like it'd be yeah. so funny yeah it was a dumb idea they're all dumb ideas that's, uh, there's a fucking great 
Uh, Patton Oswalt closed one of his. The Angry Magician. The Angry Magician. Hate fucking audience with magic. God. Yes. So funny. That's one of my favorite. And his view of magic is much more indicative of how comedians view magic than Pete Holmes's view of magic. Yeah. There's a guy, Jamie Lissow, L I S S O W, who has a bit about being approached by a restaurant magician. And he's making fun of it as like this crazy thing happened. I was at a restaurant and somebody fucking did magic, which to us sounds completely normal and standard. Yeah. Of course there's a restaurant magician. What do you mean? Listening to that bit is really eye-opening because they're like, oh, that's how people view you. Yeah. And you've got to have that awareness. You have to. So I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe the main problem in magic or one of them is people aren't very self-aware. They're not. Like they're wearing like... A blank card tie. Fuck you for... Oh, Yes. Yes. Uh, How is that cool? I'm sorry, listeners. I'm sure some of you have playing card ties, but I want you to cut them up and burn them. It just, just, just. If you're listening, if you got 40 episodes in, then you agree with me on this. Fuck Fucking you playing card ties. Wearing a playing card tie, or like a pin that has like a dove on it. Any of that shit. All the rings that have magic. Anything that's magicy. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it's just hacky. Everybody has it. Yeah. How many headshots in Magic look exactly the same? It's you look at a convention lineup. It's like the same headshot. Yeah. How is that? A th- if you did all the headshots of a comedian on a lineup, everybody's is like pretty different. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's like a similar like there's just a city in the background or something. Yeah. But like basically, you it's can like tell. professional headshot, but like Magic headshots, like card at home. Oh, I'm secretly case. I'm secretly showing you the palm card. Yeah. That should die a long long death. This thing. Mm -hmm. What else is there? Oh, the raised eyebrow, because I'm a mentalist. Mm -hmm. That one's pretty good. And those people are just doing other people's headshots. Yeah, they go, oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. It's maddening. Maddening. Yeah. I had to phase out a business card because... I had like comedian, magician, Jew, and it had arrows pointing to, and the Jew was pointing to Greenbaum. Yeah. And then someone was like, David Regal has a thing where he's like, I think it's magician, writer, Jew, or something. Uh-huh. He has Jew in there. Yeah. And so I like, as soon as I found that out, I was like, I'm phasing it out. Yeah. So like, I like the idea of the arrow pointing to my last name, but uh, I had to start phasing that out because immediately, for me, it's the opposite. It's not like if I see somebody do it, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to do that. Yeah. It's I do something and then if I find out somebody's doing something similar, I don't want it. I don't want any idea in my act to be something similar to something else. Yeah. I want them all to be third level ideas. Yeah. They're not yet, yeah. but that's the goal. Yeah. It's to get to that third level. Because that's the catch-22. Third level is defined by uh, other magicians couldn't think it up or like even comedians couldn't think of it mm-hmm. but if you were a magician or comedian then how could you think of it if the definition is that a magician couldn't think it up yeah so it's that catch 22 of like coming up with something that's so crazy that your peers couldn't yeah well but that's just, yeah I mean that's like semantically that's sound but you're influenced by your own experiences that nobody else can have so right. that's how you do that um, yeah, the best way to be original is just you're an original person. You're a unique person. Just so again, you be build aware. Things, be yeah, self-aware. Be aware of your surroundings. Like what's happening. Take stock of your life. Be present. Yeah, and all of your materials right there in front of you. I mean, you know what I didn't do in my act? I actually not see this here. This might be a dumb idea that becomes a thing eventually. I love the idea of parodying this or using it to create something that's legitimately funny. But every magician has like, this is my first magic trick. Or when I was five. And then they do like the trick they learned from their grandpa. Mm -hmm. 
Like, there could be a funny version of that. Yeah. Where, like, the trick is horrible or, like... Or it's, like, the sponge ding-dong. <laughs> no, it's not even the ding-dong, but, like, you realize that the trick that I learned when I was five, like, I was being molested. Yeah. Like, you yeah, realize something horrifying yeah. about it, but I never mention it. It's all subtext. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Yes, I like I did try to have a trick. The original version of the toxic was my grandfather taught me this trick, which is ironic because it's a cell phone. Mm-hmm. It's like, how did he have an iPhone? Yeah. But then the numbers that were on toxic matched the numbers on my arm. <laughs> Because he was in the Holocaust. Oh my God. I did it one time and the audience was horrified. And I was like, oh boy. It was, it was basically like the Holocaust. I was like, never again, never forget. Um, but I'm glad I tried it. I love that so much. It's the best story. <laughs> but like, maybe that's a perfect example of how you have to just fail with something horrifying. But yeah, I literally go, oh. That's, now you know where to stop. <laughs> yeah, I literally, I undid the button and I curled up my sleeve and I had the numbers drawn on my arm. <laughs> the audience was like I mean I'm, I I don't know how we did it oh, the trick worked god that was a fucking nightmare good. that was a nightmare how did you save it or did you just not <laughs> there was no saving it it was just like this is the trick yeah no I meant like the rest of the set I just I was just, just like insisted. I kind of lived in that moment and then I just you just go alright I'm just gonna keep doing the jokes that I know work until they forget that, that, that disaster. <laughs> and the trick worked, though, at least. So they were kind of like, but yeah, yeah you get to the audience, was like, no. Yeah. I mean, it's I did a trick on stage dark. a couple of times. The, this was right when the cartoon, the Dutch cartoon, there was like a cartoon of Muhammad and like oh, embassies yeah. burned yeah, and yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. there was death threats. French, French, right? That was later. That was Charlie Hebdo. But years before that, there was a Dutch oh, cartoon. Okay. Then it came back into favor. And I had this idea of doing a Russian roulette where I had religious figures. Mm-hmm. And one of the envelopes contained a picture of the Prophet Muhammad, like a, a very insulting cartoon. And the audience would never see it. But the idea is every time an audience member point to an envelope, I would take what it was, turn it around, and we'll, I would like, take a cell phone picture of it and put it on Twitter. Mm-hmm. So the idea being like, if you pick this Muhammad one, I'm fucked. Yeah. This could be the most dangerous thing I do in my career is insult Islam, especially when people are getting death threats for this cartoon. Yeah. And I never actually had the cartoon. Mm-hmm. That was the whole thing. Was It was just the idea of the cartoon, yeah. if you're listening. And <laughs> Al-Qaeda is just like, oh, some <laughs> Jew guy in an apartment has a very offensive uh, cartoon. Um, and I tried it a couple times, and the joke just never read. Mm-hmm. But it was like one of those things of like, come on, guys. And you just... You gotta throw it out there. It seems super funny at the time. Yeah. But this molesty thing could be very funny. I think it I think my first magic set. I think molestation's always funny. Maybe it's not molesting, but just <laughs> there's something funny about being like this is the first magic trick I ever learned and it's horrifying. Yeah. It's clearly a horrifying thing. Yeah. Or the set comes from China. Yeah. Or some country that like you can make fun of what their set is. Like the Russian set is just a piece of bread. <laughs> and like you know, it's just it's just awful props because yeah. they have an awful childhood, let's say, and then I have to now I'm just brainstorming. But yeah. you build you can build this terrible Russian magic set that somehow does you a trick. Required, yeah. But I love that yeah, it's just a potato. You open the set. Oh, let's see what we have. A plastic fork, <laughs> a piece of wire, a potato, and a child's finger. Okay. Uh <laughs> let me see what the instructions say. Yeah. And then you turn on, it's like, it's like the banana, bandana, which is like, welcome to Russian magic set. <laughs> if you are listening, you are alive. <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah. Oh, man. That could be really fun. It could be very fun. It's not, and now, I'm not calling out anybody personally, because I know people do this trick and they're fine, but 
it's not taking the vanishing bandana and be like, what is if Siri read the exact same instructions? Yeah. Like the bandana banana is a joke. Mm-hmm. If somebody wrote. Yeah. That trick should be dead. Yeah. Nobody should be doing that trick. That's the trick that I always point to as the ultimate problem because not only did you not write those jokes or invent the trick, you're not even performing those jokes. Yeah. Some dude on the CD is performing those jokes. Yeah. That you didn't even write. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. I'm not saying everybody who does that trick is evil, like, but it's a trick that people should be clearing from their act. Yeah. I think. You are a mime at that point. You're literally just a robot. Yeah. Like, you're just, you're, act, you're an actor. You're not even close to a magician. You're an actor playing the part of a magician. Yeah. It's crazy. It's absurd. It's it's entirely the opposite of artistic. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably somebody listening who's like, oh shit, I've I just lost my forty five minutes. There's my closer. <laughs> I was doing color match, vanishing my dad and then the linking rings. Uh, what are the linking rings? I don't even get it. Yeah, no. I Where 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 do those rings exist in life? Those yeah. gigantic rings. Yeah, they don't. Those are not real props. Yeah. Nobody's ever encountered that ring. And then, if you did see a giant metal ring, your first thought thought, ooh, let me link them to these other... What is the point of the trick? Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I'm sure somebody can make it work. Like, I, I you know, I, I proposed for... I was working on a TV show, and I proposed, like, linking nipple rings. Yeah. Like, there's something interesting about two people with nipple rings, and you kind of, like, get them to link up. That seems fascinating. Or, like, linking finger rings. Mm-hmm. That's a presentation that somewhat makes more sense. Yes. Because people own finger rings, at yeah. least. And they know that they don't Link break. Bracelets and cuffs and things like that. Just guys wear bracelets now. That makes yeah. sense. There are things that make sense. Yeah. But, like, those giant fucking rings? I don't really get it. I think that's the problem is we do a lot of magic without ever questioning it. Yeah. I think a lot of that is the point at which people go, you know... The audience is interested in magic. So, you know, I've never seen somebody do the linking rings as a modern trick. It's always, Here's this a is throwback. one of the oldest tricks in magic. This is a classic. This is something the masters did as a way to... But that would be like a comedian being like, hold on, let me do a throwback. And they come back in blackface to be like, <laughs> remember in the 30s when they did that? People loved it. I know, but the, uh, yes, I'm with you. I agree. I'm, I'm saying, saying linking rings is the blackface of magic. <laughs> I'm going all in. You heard it here first. That's going to be the name of the podcast. Linking, linking rings is the, the blackface black of magic. Oh, God. That's so good. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, but it's like, you know, people are trying to educate the lay audience about the history of magic. Right. And the history of comedy. Is that your job as a magician? No, it's not. But I'm saying, I'm saying I think that's kind of the point of that. Because I, I, like you're Steve right, Cohen there can is do no it. point of... Like, there's always a persona that can allow for... Steve, Steve Cohen is wearing a three-piece suit. He's doing this throwback parlor show in a fancy-ass hotel, charging $250 a ticket or whatever. And so for him to have an old prop makes 100% sense. Yeah. If he's like, I received this from... That's not his accent. But if I received this from a thing and I... Yeah. I can see a guy like that doing it. Yeah. But like, if you're a 25 year old kid and you're doing regular tricks and then you shift into your Lincoln rings, it's weird. Yeah. And card manipulation yeah. while we're at it. Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. First of all, you've produced one card. That's a very interesting trick. You had an empty hand and you made a card appear. Mm-hmm. 
then you just repeat that trick 14 times in a row. Like yeah. it doesn't get better every time I do it. I get how the, I get it. You can produce cards, great. Mm -hmm. But why are you producing playing cards? A wizard wouldn't do that. Yeah. And if I was a real magician and I needed cards, I would produce a deck of cards in the box. Yeah. Why would I produce the cards one at a time and then throw them on the floor? <laughs> just to show that I can? Yeah. That's of no use to anybody. Yeah. So for me, like it is inherently a weird trick. Mm-hmm. So like that's what we take it for granted. Like we have all these kids like, I'm gonna be a carbonip guy. Every Korean. Like how many of the, the same, basically the same carbon manipulation act. And we give them fucking trophies. We give them trophies. Yeah. Like, that's crazy. Why are we why are we giving awards for the people just doing the same act over and Do over again? You, I'm not calling out anybody in particular, no, I'm just saying course. the general idea. Yeah, yeah. Do Lay people go see Manipax? I think, well, is like, the, the Illusionist, there? not the most recent one, but the one before it, has that guy, um, oh, God, I'm forgetting his name. He's so good. He's really talented. He won, like, FISM with his Manipax. Okay. And it's it's the highlight of the show for a lot of people, I think. I was sitting around with a lot of laymen around me, and you could hear that, like, oh, because it is so visually beautiful. And some of magic is that. It's just giving that visual poetry. Mm-hmm. And if that's your act, then yeah, maybe something like a really beautiful linking ring somehow fits in there. But so there is a beauty like, to Tino, it. Tina Leonard's linking ring routine is my favorite. It's beautiful ring and it's gorgeous. It's, it's just, gorgeous. It's just visual poetry. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I, I'm not saying nobody should ever do linking rings. Yeah, yeah I'm yeah. just saying, it's just like, what's the purpose of it? What's the purpose? And more importantly, you have to know that when you take a trick like the linking rings. Mm -hmm which is so standard and overdone that you have to, the amount that you have to bring to that trick to justify including it in your act in 2017 is so much more than a trick you've invented. Yeah. Like you, if you say, I'm gonna add carbon inflation to Mac or linking rings or a fucking zigzag, mm -hmm. you better bring it to a point that it's like crazy. Yeah. You gotta really put all of your creative forces and you can't start with the linking rings. You have to come up with a presentation and be like, like Amazing Jonathan's linking rings is the best. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that he walks out because people in the audience know what linking rings are. He walks out and he goes, oh, they're already linked. Great, I don't have to do that fucking thing. That's maybe my favorite presentation of linking rings I've ever seen. Yeah. Because he's building off of what the audience knows. The audience is in on the joke the whole time. Yeah. It's great. I mean, if you're going to do the fucking, while well, we're talking about just tricks that need to die, the fucking Nielsen bottle. I don't know. Uh... You turn the bag upside down, yeah, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, and then you yeah. turn it back up, it's yeah. and then yeah. you crush it and you throw it over your shoulder. Yeah. That's not your joke. Yeah. It's not your thing. And I've seen variations of it. By the way, if you hear sirens, if, I don't know if they can hear it on the microphone, but I live about three blocks away from Trump Tower. Oh, geez. So now constantly I hear sirens because anytime Trump comes comes home or goes away or Melania, anybody involved in the first family goes to Trump Tower, sirens, whole street shuts down. It's I'm living next to the way. It's crazy. Yeah. Just I would add that little fact to it. Yeah, I walked past it yesterday and there was like eight NYPD officers with assault rifles standing outside just blocking off the yeah. door and I was like, Jesus. Somebody lives in that building. Yeah. Like other people. Yeah. I literally last night I was uh I was going through apartment listings because that's what we do in New York as our porn. And I was like, let me see Trump Tower. And the average, if you look at most real, most listings, the average like price per square foot mm -hmm. is like 800 to $1,000. It could be that high, like 800 to $1,000 per square foot or something crazy. And it was like $500. It was in the hundreds of dollars. Mm -hmm. It's crazy per square foot. Yeah. Um, 
because yeah, let's say it's a four hundred square foot apartment and it costs like two thousand yeah. dollars or more or more. It was like for that. It's a lot. Yeah. We were looking up Trump Tower apartments, fifty dollars a square foot. Because oh they can't they're just getting apartments that nobody wants to pay any money for. Yeah. So you could actually see how often they get relisted based on their new price. So we just seen like apartments go down a hundred thousand. Then then as soon as the election happened, they went another hundred thousand. Oh my and then God. as soon as you move to the White House, another hundred thousand. They're, they're it's crazy. It's cra- it's the most affordable real estate now in New York is Trump Tower. Because nobody wants to go through that. Nobody wants to go through that. They also don't want to live in the place that has Trump's name on it for fear of it being destroyed. Yeah, but now I almost want to live in there. I want to make an offer because it's the cheapest. You get a penthouse for known money. Yeah. But you have to go through security. All your guests have to go through like, you have to go through airport security. Yeah. To go to your apartment. Yeah. That seems unfun. Yeah. There's got to be like a fast pass that you can get. My friend Mike Lawrence has a joke uh, about, because he found out that Bruce Willis lives in Trump Tower. And he's like, all I want is for terrorists to take over Trump Tower, and the only man who can stop him <laughs> is Bruce Willis. And I'm like, God damn it. That's how you know you have a good joke, is when other comedians are angry that that they, comedian beat them to it. Yeah. Because I was like, I didn't even know Bruce Willis living in the building, but God, I would have loved to have that joke. Yeah. God damn it. That's, but it's Mike's, right? Yeah, you can't touch that. You can't go anywhere near it, because it's Mike's, and that's the lesson that magicians don't ever take, is they would have heard a joke and go, oh, let me do it. Because nobody, because the people that I tell will never hear that joke from that guy, probably. Right, because they their don't. Right. Which is horrifying. Yeah. Oh, I can steal that guy's magic trick because no one will know. I'll yeah. get away with it. Yeah. That's got. But you got to feel. It's weird. I would. I would feel awful inside. Yeah. That's one of the main reasons you can't. You shouldn't steal is because you should feel awful about it. Yeah. But I don't think everybody feels awful about it. Yeah. Well, it's because that's just what it is. That's just how it is. And it's a standard that we created that we need to break. It's a community standard that absolutely needs to die. Yeah. Once that once that standard is erased, I can change the name of my column to you are all not that terrible. <laughs> you are all less terrible. You are slightly less terrible. <laughs> We've done two and a half. Holy shit. Really? Yeah. My God. I have talked a lot. Yeah. Has anybody made it to this this point? Listening? Listening. Yeah, of course. Really? Yeah. Wow. Everybody finishes. I'm just impressed that they really. Yeah. So this is like, okay. Yeah. It's like your love life. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. It's a good rate. Yeah. I feel like as long as they get through the first 10 minutes where I wasn't even, I didn't even know it was on. Yeah. They I'll take out probably that. the first three minutes of that just because we hadn't really sat down yet, but... Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We were making coffee and we were already recording. No way. Yeah. That feels weird. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's not it's have that. It's kind of dirty, right? It's like I'm a little... It's, it's a little, little sneaky. Yeah. You're a little sneaky one, Elliot. Yeah, I'm a cat. I should have asked. I should have known. I should have been like, all right, I see a microphone. What other podcasts have you done? What, how can people find you and listen to you and learn from you? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, either learn what to do or not to do, depending. Yeah. Um, uh, at Harrison Comedy, that's my Twitter, so please follow me, uh, at Harrison Comedy. I have a, like a bazillion websites, because I have HarrisonGreenbaum.com is my real website with stand-up. Yeah. But like my magic website's HarrisonMagic.com. Um, and then... Which one does I Want a Netflix Special goes to? That's its own website. Okay. That's a blog. Okay. So yeah, go to HarrisonGreenbaum.com if you want to check out my stand-up. Um, go to IWantAnetflixSpecial.com if you want to check out my up-to-date um, sort of me. It's literally me telling you 
day by day, week by week, what I'm doing to try to make this special reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never seen a blog like it. I thought it'd be kind of an interesting experiment. Yeah. I hope it ends in success. <laughs> um, we're working on it. Yeah. Um, there's now a trailer for the special on the blog, That's which is exciting. worth checking out. Yeah. Um, I don't judge the suit. <laughs> it's a shitty suit. Uh, Elliot will tell you though, much nicer suit now. So yes, much nicer suit. Not that suit anymore. Yeah. Um, and if you email me um, through the blog, you can get uh, the beta test, which is a rough version of the special. Yeah. That you can watch and absolutely tell me what you like and dislike about it. Um, and yeah, it's at Harrison Comedy. It's my Twitter. It's my Instagram. Uh, my Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash Harrison Greenbaum but basically if you go to like harrisongreenbaum.com you can get to everything from there yeah. and uh, I want a Netflix special.com and if you forget all of that I also own maybe Comedy Central will book me if this is my website.com <laughs> that just relinks you to harrisongreenbaum.com yeah. or experiment with the .com if you do harrisongreenbaum.info or .org I will yell at you and then redirect you Oh, wow. I, I That was another dumb idea. I was like, wouldn't that be funny if you, you screw up my website and the website yells at you? Yeah. Actually, I, I should book up... I should get one of the... spell. I should get a spelling error. You should do all the spelling Like a bunch of typos. So that if yeah. you typo my name, it leads to my website, but for, not before. Like, I'm just like, really? Is that really how you spell Harrison? Yeah. And then it redirect you. Mm-hmm. How do you think people mostly misspell it? Um... Two S's, maybe. Ooh, that's good. Yeah. And then one R. Yeah. That's worth it. Yeah. $10 or $20 for the joke. Yeah. $20 a year. $20 for that dumb joke. joke. Yeah. It's worth it. But yeah, if you do .org, .info, .net, my website will chastise you. Yeah. And then send you to my website. That's good. You never stop thinking. I I guess the best that may be the main takeaway here is like any dumb idea you have is only dumb if you don't try it yeah it's only dumb until you try it and then it works and you're like wow that was a genius idea that I had yeah they always start as dumb like what if I did this I think that's where a lot of the fun comes in yeah and if you create your own stuff you get to have those moments all the time like last night what if I did dreidels (laughs) let's put some dreidels at the show and sometimes it's like let's draw numbers on my arm yeah less fun idea less yeah not as successful yeah both Jewy (laughs) one more so (laughs) yeah which one is it we went through this whole podcast without really any Jew references there was a handful I guess I'm so (laughs) you just say you're totally inured to it (laughs) yeah I'm so yeah exactly (laughs) no it was pretty good all right. Do you want to just like shove a few in real quick? Well, shalom to everybody listening. There you go. I don't know. <laughs> you tell from my apartment. It's not the Jewish apartment. No, it's pretty nice. Although, if you, if you saw what I paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> like your N64 and Mario Kart over there. That's very important. Yes. I actually had a PlayStation 4. Uh-huh. And uh, sold impre- it and bought the Nintendo. I'm hoping in my mind that there was like thousands of people listening at the beginning. Yeah. But now we're down to two people. And they're like, I'm going to listen to this goddamn thing till it ends. Yeah. And we're just going to keep going forever. Yeah. Let's make if this a seven-hour podcast. If you're doing it screen cap it and tweet at Harrison at Harrison Comedy to show that you're still in it yeah yeah I feel like we should bury a fact in there like something really interesting okay that only the people who got this far get to enjoy okay what should that be it could be anything like a really good fact like a good secret something like what's your darkest secret that you're comfortable sharing on a podcast that tens of people will listen to well I here's a good secret is if you go to harrisongreenbump.com and then you hit my tumblr link I have a blog where I wrote a lot of like academic things about comedy 
And some of those are the basis of genie columns. <laughs> so if you read those articles, it's like yeah. getting a little head start on some of my columns. Wow. Um, and you could, see, you could also compare how they they are they in the blog and then how they evolve into the columns. Yeah. So that's like a secret that's way out in the open. Yeah. That cool. you could check out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I bought a PS4 and then I, I, I realized I was playing it so much that I returned it four days later because oh, wow. I was like, "This is gonna, this is going to affect my creative process." Yeah, like it's one thing to watch a movie before you go to bed, but I was like, "If I'm playing video games, I feel like I'm not working on jokes." Yeah. And How so, do you work on jokes? What is it? I mean, what is it like? What is your writing process? I carry a little notebook around, uh-huh. and I have on my phone. Ever this notice is my like, favorite the best. thing to do, by the way, is like to wind down and then, yeah. like and then come back up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. my favorite thing. Uh, it's like yeah. Uh, so you just write your little ideas. I like put little ideas like here. Let me. Here's another secret for people who are listening. Um, I'm just gonna see what my couple, my most recent ideas are. They're usually terrible. Great. Because uh, the idea is your notebook is non-judgmental. That's yeah. how I look at it. Mm-hmm. So, uh, oh, that was just a tag. Oh, so the most current joke that I wrote down was. A Snapchat in the past. So the idea was uh, literally the note just says Snapchat in the past. Hand out photos and have your friends burn them. So the idea was being like, how do we get to the point that snap like kids just Snapchat? Mm-hmm. So like Facebook at least was uploading photos for people to share that you kept a copy of. Yeah. Now you don't even have a copy of it, and then your friends friends copy disappears as soon as they watch it. Yeah. Like why are you even taking these photos? Like what's the point? To, for if we like if in high school when I was in high school. I made a copy of a photo and then just handed it to a friend and said, as soon as you're done looking at it, burn it. Yeah. So that's the joke idea. Okay. Yeah. Who knows if that will ever work. Yeah. But like tonight, I'm going to do it three times. And see. See if I can make it works. work. Yeah. And then I have Color War, not a good lesson for kids. <laughs> Teaches them to make an enemy out of groups solely for arbitrary reasons. That's so like good. that could be some, an interesting thought. But I just write down like, but I would say interesting joke thoughts. I'm going to I'm gonna give you a couple of my joke thoughts. Oh, you have joke thoughts? I do. Ah. Um, just, you know, I started, I don't know. I got to find, I got to find some that are reasonable to share. Um, <laughs> They're all very graphic. Yeah. So. How do you get semen out of a comforter? Why would they make a comforter that you can't get semen out of? So this is... Did I get it? Did I get it right? Yeah. All right. <laughs> this is uh, this is something that it's just like a, a premise that is not... I'm, I almost don't want to say it because it could be contrived as racist, but it's not, I promise. Well, the notebook is not a critic. That's a I very know. important yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. I, but I'm talking to the people. Listening. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah. But they I'd know say, that you're just reading notes, so it's yeah. not racist because he's just... So, yeah. mimosas are the excuse of white people to drink during the morning. Black people have slavery. Um, I gotcha. Yeah. No, it's not racist at all. Okay, You're saying yeah. slavery was bad. Slavery was bad. White people have nothing to complain That's about. That's my biggest problem. When it comes to politically correctness, I'm always like... Because I once got a complaint letter, and yeah. I wrote him back a really nice response, and then I actually... He was like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, oh, we could have this discussion. But it always comes with the second I say, especially in stand-up, the second I say a topic like Holocaust, slavery, mm-hmm. rape, yeah. abortion, you say those like those words. Was, yeah, the buzzwords. Some people will immediately just shut their ears off and not listen to the rest of the joke. And like I was doing a joke about how I tweet at the Nazis and make fun of them. Yeah. And somebody heard the word Nazi I, I or Holocaust. That, I saw that on YouTube. It's a quirk. Oh, thank so, you. Isn't it sad how relevant that joke has become again? 
Yes. That joke is from 2014. Oh my god, yeah. It's real. It's more relevant now than it was when I wrote it. Yeah. When I wrote it, it was this goof because people were like, "Oh, the Nazis, the are, Nazis still are still around." And so I had to kill the joke because people didn't believe me. Yeah. Now when I do it, it, it murders because yeah. people are like, "Holy shit!" And the and they're like, "Wow, the balls to deal with the Nazis." I'm like. Less balls when it was 2014 to face up with the Nazis. But that YouTube video gets a lot of really like comments in German and weird Peppy the Frog people who don't like the bit. That's why there's like dislikes. They're fucking Nazis who are disliking the bit. Um, So I don't feel bad about that video getting dislikes. Um, But that's my frustration is like the joke is anti-Nazi. It's not anti-Semitic if the joke is anti-Nazi. Yeah. Your joke isn't racist because it's anti-slavery. Yeah. Yes. It's a joke about race, but it is not racist. Yeah. I, I have no well, fear. I did, yes, I agree, but I didn't want people to think I was making light of slavery. Uh, I'm comparing it to... Sure. Um, I feel yeah. Here's another one. Again, this is nothing against my Mormon friends, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, uh, you know, Mormons are basically door-to-door salespeople. You're comparing uh, Mormonism to selling Avon products or uh, I'm sorry, Mary Kay products. It's a pyramid scheme. And being God is the pink Cadillac of Mormonism. Ah, I think they got to work the word pyramid scheme into there. Oh yeah, definitely. But or Jehovah's Witnesses too are also door to door. Yeah, but I like the the idea of the pink Cadillac is the same as yeah. being God of your own planet. Right, right, right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's... My joke about Mormonism is fast. I just in the middle of another joke, I go, yeah, because the New Testament is a sequel and the Book of Mormon is the fan fiction. <laughs> that's great. Um, and it's weird because like sometimes the audience will give that the biggest pop and I'm like alright calm down <laughs> we don't need to all shit on the Mormons that badly like I feel like they for me it's like if they're not laughing exactly the same at all of them like alright now you're targeting the Mormons yeah 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 because I've been hitting everything yeah so it's weird when people like pick groups that they're going to be more if you make fun of their group they're immediately out yes totally which is so weird like how selfish is that yeah. you were okay when I made fun of A, B, and C but the fact but you're D and when I talked about D you were upset about it yeah like that's it's yeah. maddening that's the, that's what I don't like about the people that get so mad at like sort of angry comics like let's say Lewis Black is there like he's just making fun of shit it's like he's making fun of everybody yeah or he's angry about everything it's not like he's targeting a specific thing yeah and you can tell because become like an activist <laughs> oh god that's and that's a different yeah you never fear in magic I've never seen an activist magician <laughs> yeah. oh well actually that's a lie gospel magicians oh jeez they have a point like they have like a there's, there's, there's a the mission yeah which is weird because like if they can do magic what's to say <laughs> the figures that they look up to didn't do magic <laughs> well especially when they replicate magic mm-hmm. when they're like oh I'm gonna show Je- I'm gonna turn water into wine to like demonstrate what Jesus did and like how do you know Jesus didn't use your method <laughs> it's weird it's weird it's- to disprove magic with ma- or prove magic or with prove magic. wizardry with magic prove supernaturalism with magic yeah with the illusion of supernaturalism yeah and then there's like there's always all the kids who do like school shows like environmentally friendly magic yeah it's a strange thing Think about how much heat we could save if we just burned all the ties, all the playing card ties. That would be great. It's environmentally friendly. It is. I think it's good. Save the world, guys. Burn those ties. <laughs> and save magic. <laughs> save magic. I mean, that's why... Why do you think magicians... If you Here's the thing. Yeah. In terms of not self being self-aware enough, yeah. if anybody watches television or movie depictions of magic, they'd have to be aware of how magicians are viewed by the public. They have to. Yeah. Arrested Development or anything. Yeah. Magicians are kind of a joke. Yeah. They're the joke. There's a reason Phil Dunphy does magic because it's silly. Yeah. We, he's not doing stand-up comedy because stand-up comedy is kind of cool. Yeah. 
like that's the issue it's like anytime we need a joke they go with magician mime or ventriloquist because it's silly and that's our fault and so we need to be aware of what we're doing that's helping that stereotype yeah like you're playing card ties are, are definitely hurting us yes they're definitely making sure that other people like when you walk around a convention you're like Jesus why do none of us look normal yeah it's a convention we're just supposed to be relaxed hanging out with our buddies yeah why do we all look silly? Yeah. Some things are more justifiable. Like even card cases, like those fucking card clips. Mm-hmm. That's such a non-normal thing. Yeah. Like, you can have them. Like, yeah. you can put your cards in a card clip. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you get to the gig, you shouldn't be walking around with it. Yeah. Because a lay audience is like, what the fuck is that? You have to keep your cards pressed? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. I think, I would say, so the person that I am... I think I can get away with it because mine is wrapped yes. in alligator leather. Oh, of course. And you know, it's like oh, you would. I'd be disappointed if you had just shitty bicycle cards exactly. in a in a in a in a shitty bicycle case. It's about it's about the context and and but 100%. that's the thing is like it's nobody thinks about the context. You need the context. It's not a cohesive picture. I mean, why are people? Why are kids collecting playing cards? That makes. Why are you spending all of your money on nothing? Yeah. Like most of the time, your the context is I need cards for a card trick. Yeah. So using weird cards is only going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. And also trying to match your cards to your act is a very weird Im- impulse. Yeah. Unless you're fancy, where fancy people do own luxury items. Yeah. I get that impulse. And that's that's when when P- so the the you know the argument against it is well every time you have a deck of cards that's not a regular deck that everybody notices they automatically assume it's you know fake or they will problem. if it, the context is wrong exactly and so I say I have never once had that problem I go this is a luxury item it's a luxury deck of cards right and people well, because immediately you, you accept justified. it exactly people immediately accept it and but I if you're in jeans and you come out with like yeah a gold foil stamp I mean then there are some cards that look more gimmick than others well yeah there's stuff that looks cheesy and magic-y right. which is that stereotype of what we are but if you come out with something elegant and but like the better example is like I'm a goth satan magician so I will use my goth satan cards and you're like no satanist is just playing you know playing go fish yeah doesn't matter that you put a case on your iPhone it's still an iPhone yeah just because you took your cards and now they're goth cards yeah that did. That wasn't artistic. That yeah, wasn't yeah. An artistic. That was a, a a choice. Yeah. But that can't be the only choice. Yeah. Like that's crazy. I I changed my suit, mm-hmm. but that's just a micro tiny choice of yeah. thousands. Mm-hmm. But like you see those guys who are like, oh no no, it's different. My trick is different because it's a goth deck, and I I call the card Satan <laughs> instead of Houdini. Yeah. It's crazy. It's, a, it's the same. It was like last night. I was at a Dwayne Reed at like 2 o'clock in the morning to yep. buy a lean cuisine because I'm a classy performer and the life on the road is great. <laughs> and the guys in front of me were this guy dressed like a vampire, like long black hair and yeah. eyeshadow, like dark lipstick. Yeah. The, I mean, a vampire. Pointy nails. And his yeah. girlfriend or whatever the, whoever the girl was to him had a back tattoo on her neck and like piercings. And they were just like buying shit at Dwayne Reed <laughs> and it was hilarious yeah and that's what I feel like most magicians are they're like the vampires in the Dwayne Reed yeah is they're just like they're out of context yes they don't realize that they look really silly in the real world yeah and then she forgot her phone and I like when I went to grab the phone the screen turned on and it was like Satan stuff like it was like Satan pray a Satan prayer and it was like a bat case and they're like she's very much committed to her character yeah but she but it she would have to I'm sure I, I would hope that they are self-aware enough to know that, like, it's pretty silly when they walk into the Dwayne Reed. Yeah. And they buy, like, 
a six pack yeah of Bud Light or whatever yeah like it's just incongruent yeah it doesn't yeah you shouldn't be drinking beer you should be drinking blood yeah if you went to buy yeah it's like they buy beer and red food but you're wearing like fruity pebbles and like a six pack of Bud Light you're like who are you yeah come on most magicians are that they like walk on stage like I am a vampire and then they go here's my card trick yeah be 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 you yeah be you be authentic and just think about like it's so much more rewarding and we touched on this earlier but it's so much more rewarding if you're being authentic and sharing yourself because like then you're getting something out of it and it's it's harder to, to steal from you and rip you off yeah it's harder to be people immediately go oh no no that was Harrison's trick yeah like I get emails from people like oh this guy is doing your stuff mm-hmm. and but they know it immediately because I have a voice yeah and they can hear it how do you handle that it's awkward and weird. I try to just be really nice about it. I just send an email like, hey, like, that's my joke. Like, don't do it. Yeah. Or, or I get emails from people all the time, which you never get in comedy. Like, hey, I saw you at such and such a place. Do you mind if I use this? Or can you t- tell me the work on it? I'd like to add it to my act. Mm-hmm. And I'm like horrified by it. Yeah. So I have to write a really nice email. And be like, I'm so glad you asked me. And like, that's a good step is asking for permission. But like, I don't offer my act for sale. And I, I it's my act that I worked years on. So like... I would appreciate it if, you know, if you don't do any components of it. And, like, I'm glad you were inspired by it, but it's not meant for replication. Yeah. So I just try to be nice. It's like how I deal with hecklers. The first time you heckle, I'm nice to you, and then I gradually get meaner. Yeah. But there's no reason to be mean to somebody who doesn't know better. Yeah. So I try to, I try to be, like, somebody stole a video of mine on YouTube, but I was like, like, Louis C.K., where he says, like, he wrote that letter to the guy, like, hey... Do you mind, like, taking it down? <laughs> like, somebody wrote a mean Facebook post. So I was like, hey, do you mind, like, not being mean? It's, it's uncalled for. Yeah. So that's, I try- I, somebody, uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, that's just a good way to handle any anything that's, like, what, with what you disagree with. You know? Yeah, because sometimes you might say it and they might not know or, like, they didn't mean to be mean. And as soon as you tell them, like, I'm, I remember somebody stole my Price is Right joke. And I went up to him and I was like, hey, like, about accusing you of theft like it's just very similar to a joke that I've done and you've seen a bunch of times and it's like almost word for word my bit yeah and he was like oh god I'm so sorry I was like hi watching prices right and your joke must have flowed into my head and then he never did it again yeah and if I had come up to him angry, he might have. It might have been a very different response. Yeah. So I was very glad that I approached him. Was like, I don't even want to accuse. You. I'm not even sure. Let's not even say you stole it. But I just wanted to. You know, it's very close. You're giving somebody the out. Like even yeah. even if they did just blatantly steal it, you're still giving them permission to be like, oh yeah, sorry, I didn't know. I'm not gonna do it again. Like they exactly. get to save face, basically. Exactly. You know. Yeah. And in magic, that's the thing. If if we find out somebody has been stealing a lot of stuff, or we know his act is basically. Uh, a collage of other performers why are we hiring them for conventions and for shit we just if we keep giving them work they're only going to keep doing it because they're only being rewarded for it yeah that's stuff we have to like take seriously too it's like how many times do you see a convention actor like that's stolen or that's derivative yeah we got, we have to push the art form by only booking good acts well, <laughs> sorry we can't <laughs> right <laughs> it's like there would be one convention yeah that's you know? fair it's, like, it's tough yeah but like the genie convention mm-hmm. uh, or magic fest those those both do pretty good jobs about getting mostly original interesting yeah. guys yeah yeah so that's kind of cool but but what I'm saying is like what you know like most of the guys that are doing those conventions do one or two or three or four conventions a year right it's like 
we're, it's just the same guys over and over again. I know. And then that just leads to greater theft, basically. Because you're seeing the same guy over and over again. Yeah. yeah. It's just... And I feel like most bookers I've ever met with conventions, their job is is to hire the best acts that they can. It's not mm-hmm. like they're going out of their way, but like... Yeah. Yeah, there are certain guys I think we all know about that are... are doing the bad stuff that we're talking about and that we need to like kind of shut out yeah that we need to like be more policey yeah now we're are we three hours in no we're 250 oh we're so close do you want to do you want to keep what's going? your record uh like three and a half hours oh shit yeah <laughs> who's that jordan gold i don't even know jordan gold oh jordan's great oh man he's wonderful i gotta listen he's to one that. of my favorite people nice yeah three three and a half hours yeah wow yeah I did another one recently that was very long. Uh, I think it was the Garrett Thomas one. It was over the, about three. Now. My God. Yeah. So this is pretty. This is pretty regular. This is standard. Yeah. Oh, thanks for letting me feel special. <laughs> well, you've done a wonderful job. Oh, thank you. You so talked much. more than most people. Well, you know that's fair. Oh, really? No. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait. You're saying he's most of the time you just asking questions? No. You're very quiet. You're cat-like. Yeah. I learned so much about you. I feel like. Oh, that's nice. I learned about the cat thing. Uh-huh. That this is your standard dress, which I'm very impressed by. Yeah. Um, those things. And uh, <laughs> well, San Diego. Yeah. Uh, what I your, like. your method of just like stalking people till they're friends with you. That's correct. That's pretty good. Yeah. What I like about this is that uh, my favorite thing is when someone's talking and they stop talking, you sit, you look at them in the eye. And they start talking again. They start talking again. Katie Couric used to do that. Yeah. I was the warm-up comic for Katie Couric, and that was her technique. Yeah. Is you ask, you can ask the same question over and over again, mm-hmm. and sometimes if you just wait, people get very awkward in silence, so they fill it in. Yeah. I have no problem with silence. I was going to say, I was like, are you about to do this to me again? No, I was, I, I was like thinking about it, but I was like, no. Nah, nah. Yeah, it works, because then the person's like, I guess I'll talk about this thing now. Yeah. And it's, it's good because, you know, people... Whether they know it or not, people have a stock answer for everything you ever ask. Mm-hmm. And so then when they finish How'd talking... How do you get started and, in magic? And then when you finish talking and they... Or when they finish talking and you just can allow them to continue, they go, uh, and now I have to just start word vomiting. And then they go, oh shit, I didn't even realize that I felt that way or thought that thing. That's the best. Yeah. What was the biggest discovery? Did somebody like discover something? Like a ther- like a therapy session. Uh, I somebody has cried before. Whoa! Yeah, who cried? <laughs> Paul Wilson. Pussy? No, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. No, no, I'm, no, kidding. No. I'm kidding. It was. That was I was a, just setting up for that joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a special. Our Paul Wilson or just Paul Wilson? Our Paul Wilson. Our Paul Wilson. Yeah, that was a special. The best of the first letter, then followed by Paul Wilson's. Yes, I love our Paul. He's great. Yeah, and he has a great accent. Oh, it's wonderful. Don't you wish you had an accent? It's very soothing. I, I do wish that. I wish I had an accent different than the accent that I was born and raised with. Yeah. Which is uh, Louisiana accent. I was about to say, there's some Southern... Yeah. You were hanging out with Patrick yesterday. Yeah. He has the Kentucky accent. Yeah. And it comes out sometimes like real Kentucky. Yeah. It's delightful. Yeah. It's nice. I don't like mine very much and I like try to... To minimize, I think you should. I think giving a little hint of it is nice. It adds it's mystery. An, it's inevitable that there will be a hint of it. It's like Banachek. You're like, where's that accent from? And it's like South Africa. Yeah, because that's a hard to place yeah, accent. That is a hard to place accent. It's it's easier now that Elon Musk is so like visual. Yeah, but still, yeah. The first time I heard him, I was like, Do you think some magicians get booked? Like they get credit for their accent? 
that they're not that great, but their accent makes them seem like they're better performers. Like Paul? <laughs> no, no, no. He's one of the good guys. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love him to death. I just feel like once in a while, I see a British comedian, yeah. and I'm just like, God damn it. He is killing harder because, because of that of accent. accent. Yeah. His accent is delightful. It's an automatic voice. You know, it's like Regan doing a voice. Yes. That's that's just that guy's voice. But in England, it doesn't work as a character, but he's yeah. the British guy. He's the international comedian. I, that's, that's an interesting frustration, is that like you can be the British guy, yeah, and that's not a character, yeah. But like, so like that's what you, that's another thing about developing your persona is like make sure it's not just like I'm the British guy, yeah. Like it should be very specific. Yeah, people should like somebody came, a couple so people came up to me after the show and hugged me yesterday. Oh, really? I, I I brought I feel like if I had to explain why it's because like, I brought them in. Yeah, like they were like I'm friends with you now. Yeah, yeah. Well, so explain to people now that we're almost three hours into it what your character is like. Who are you? It's hard. It's just me. It's just well, a yeah. magnified version of me. Yeah, but you explain it on stage pretty well. Yeah, I mean, there's. I can tell you the elements that comprise it. There's um, Judaism and being yeah. Jewish factors in a bunch. Yeah. Uh, my sexuality being a question mark yeah. factors in quite a bit. Yeah. Um, and then there's this like level of... I really like this idea of breaking down what magic is. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that I... I love magic, but I hate magic at the same time. Yeah. Like there's a sense that every t- I'm going to do things that every magician does, but then be really mad at myself for doing them or t- explain to the audience, like, isn't this silly that magicians do this? Mm-hmm. So I'm taking everything you take for granted for magic and making fun of it. Yeah. So there's that like very sort of, I guess, what's the word for it is like a sort of like a rebellious mm-hmm. streak to it, like a bad boy kind of thing. Not that I'm, I don't think anybody's like, well, what a bad boy. No. Defendant Teller, they were like the bad boys of magic, I think was their moniker. Yeah. Um, but there's that element of just like kind of. Teller's re- like a Latin scholar. Yeah. Bad boy of magic. But they were the bad boys of magic. <laughs> so fun. But yeah, I like this idea of like, and and then the, the major flavor is stand-up. Yeah. Because it feels like a stand-up set. Mm-hmm. Like it's like joke, 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 joke. So you're hearing actual stand-up. Yeah. And it's the rhythm of stand-up as opposed to the rhythm of magic. Yeah. Where there's like everything is for a joke, for a laugh, and it's like boom, 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 boom. And it sh- and I try not to take my foot off the gas the entire time. Mm-hmm. I try to give you a little bit of some breathing room, but yeah, like sure. trying to keep it just like laugh, 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 laugh. Yeah. So those are like the flavors that you put in a pot and you get Harrison. Well, it was great. I had a great time seeing you last night. Oh, thank you. Thank you for coming. Yeah, it was I appreciate it. Um, We finished by uh, sharing the hardest time we were ever fooled or just like a time you were really badly fooled. The hardest time I was ever fooled. Well, I thought it was a she. And I nodded it. I thought it was she was she was she was anyway. Uh, he was very gentle, and uh, <laughs> the hardest I was ever fooled. Yeah, ever. Or just I'll tell you the hardest I was ever fooled. Yeah, was Louis C.K. Oh yeah, the hardest I was ever fooled. As much as I've seen some of the best magic. Yeah, that's out. I mean, I've been very lucky to see some incredible magic. The I was ever fooled was Louis C.K. He went on stage and in the middle of a joke he kind of screwed it up and he laughed at himself and he's like oh I can't believe I said that and I I was like oh that's such a great spontaneous moment Mm -hmm. and then uh, we were I was was at the cellar so I was performing with him that night and then the next night we're on another show together and the same mistake happened I was like no no this is a bit this is not Improvised and riffed, and then they did it a third time, and I was like, 
God damn it. Like, <laughs> that's the secret to Louis, in yeah. a sense, is is that he really sounds like he's making it up almost every time. Yeah. And there's a spontaneity that he seems to have mm-hmm. that he does not. And I've been trying to put that in my magic. Like, I don't want you to be able to tell the difference between a scripted line to a person or a line that I've really legitimately come up with. Yeah. And I think there are moments in the show where you're like, that sounded almost too good to be true. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether he's that fast or if it was really made up on the spot. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's because 50% of times it is made up and 50% it really is scripted, but done in a way that like, I hope it fools you the way Louis did. Yeah. Because goddamn, that was, honestly, that was a magic trick. Yeah. Because the second night he did it, and then the same mistake happened in the exact same place, I was like, oh, he got me so bad. He got me so bad. And that was, that was magic. See, that's amazing to me because you can't tell. But I like when you get into, because that's different, that's like more like uh, creating spontaneity. Yeah, but I I do like it when you when you can tell that the comedian's riffing. Yeah, but what you can't tell is when I'm riffing because I am re- really getting a new situation. Yeah, whether I'm taking things out of my rolodex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or playing because the thing is every I look at tricks sometimes like sketches where every when you write a sketch you you, you play the game. Mm-hmm. So there's a game. Yeah. So I have like four games that I'm playing simultaneously while I'm doing Prices Right. Mm-hmm. One of the games is, can I connect all three people? Yeah. The audience doesn't know that's the game that I'm playing, but I'm trying to figure out how I can keep connecting the three people to each other. Mm-hmm. A mistake I made last night was I did three kids, yeah. which I never do. I like having at least one adult because I can play more with an adult. Because mm-hmm. kids aren't that interesting in terms of like, a, a, an adult has a job yeah. and a relationship and like they have so many concrete things you can hang your hat on yeah. they live in a place that was their choice to live in yeah. kids don't have much agency so you can't make fun of them for their choices mm-hmm. if adults says I live in Kentucky and I hate it that's their fault Yeah. but if a kid hates living where they live that's not their fault they were born there yeah so that was but it was connecting all three of them as one game which you did and then finding little games within each person Mm -hmm. Uh, so trying to find things about the Ellis Island thing that I could work in of like why is that a bad job or whatever it is Um, there's little games that you can play Um, and then there's so there's like and then another game is like um, is what what I'm going to describe can I come up with a short one word snarky thing as a description of the item like writing not Jew or like high maintenance Mm -hmm. But for sometimes, sometimes I know like not Jew works. Yeah. So if I can slot it in with one of those three that I'm going to, so even though it feels spontaneous, if I've done that moment before. Yeah. 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 Or like when I meet a young kid and I do the 50 feet. Yeah. That's a. I want it to feel like I'm coming up with it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But even spontaneous, like figuring out what a game is, like yeah. even if the game itself is specifically new, sometimes the bones of what the game is, like. Yeah like a basic escalation game. Mm-hmm. Like somebody mispronounces something. Like somebody said, I'm from Germany. Mm-hmm. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I'm from Germany. I'm like, oh good, because I'm from uh, America or <laughs> whatever. Like, America. I'm, yeah. yeah. So the game became, let's mispronounce things. Mm-hmm. Um, and can I get ahead of the audience and be like, oh, uh, the price is riga hit yeah. or whatever. Whatever mispronunciation. I forgot what I did yeah. in the moment. But like, that's a game mm-hmm. and even though I know that in the past I played escalation games where it's like alright I'm going to continue to call back to this thing mm-hmm. and every time I do it make it more and more extreme yeah that kind of thing yeah um, so you, you you're you're playing all these different you're playing the actual improv the Rolodex stuff and then the, just the script so you're trying to combine all three and make sure nobody really knows when you're leaving one and going to the other yeah 
which is what Louis is doing. Like, yeah. some of it is generally... I'm sure the first time he did that thing, it was a riff. Yes. And now he's just replicating it over and over again. Yeah. And that's... So that's, that's what I was kind of going to get to, is that, like, I like when you're in that center space where you know that this was a riff at one point in time, but it's not finished yet. So it's yeah. like, ooh, we're in this, like, weird electric place where... You know, it's not right, but it's good still. Yeah. You know? Oh, that's, that's so fun. fun. That's super fun. Yeah, and you get you fit that you hit that zone like you get into that pocket and you're like I'm riding the wave. That's the like the yeah. closer you get to that surfing feeling of like I'm on this big wave and it could crash, yeah. <laughs> but I'm gonna ride it as far as I can. Yeah. That's always really fun. That's really cool. Well, thanks, man. We hit three hours. We did it. <laughs> All right. We're like, what is it? Gone with the wind, love. Yeah. We'd be two VHS tapes. Wow. Really. That was like the big thing when you rented a movie from Blockbuster they would rubber band two VHS's together if it was a long movie. Like Titanic was two VHS tapes. Two VHS tapes. Yeah. We did it. We did it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you so, so much, much for having me. Yeah. Jinx. Pleasure. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I really uh, I really appreciate it. This is awesome. And I, I really do think we, we did some good today. I think I hope so. I think so. Alright. Well check me out on Twitter at Harrison Comedy. See I'm plugging. Yeah. Plug it all. Yeah. Cool, man. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, email me at podcast at artofmagic.com to let me know your thoughts, or join the conversation at the Facebook group dedicated to Magical Thinking listeners. You can find it by searching for Magical Thinking Podcast on Facebook, and give us a like over on the Facebook fan page while you're at it. If you enjoyed the show... Share the episode or episodes that you found most interesting and inspiring, and let people know what you got out of it. I'll see you next Thursday. Cheers.